0: Hello and welcome to the inaugural episode of Feckin' Metal. I'm your host, Fergal Trainer, and this is a spin-off podcast from the Feckin' Check-In. Normally I would have my co-host Toomey, but as was mentioned in episode 20 of the Feckin' Check-In, we're both starting our own podcasts now, Uh, mine being Feckin' Metal and Toomey's being Feckin' Football. So this is episode one, and what I would like to achieve with this podcast is I want to speak to uh, some bands, some fans, and some fellow podcasters about heavy metal. I've been a heavy metal fan for about 20 years or possibly even longer. It's my go-to uh, genre of music. It's the music I love the most and it's something I don't really get to talk about too much because not too many of my friends really like heavy metal. Um, so my plan for this podcast is to speak to the up-and-coming bands, maybe the underdogs, people from the heavy metal scene who are part of the unofficial movement, the new wave of traditional heavy metal, which I'll get into later but I have mentioned already on the second check-in. Um, so this is episode one, as I said, the inaugural episode and with me, is a very special guest. So this is my brother in metal, my long-term close personal friend and somebody who was my guaranteed guest for the first episode. This is Kevin Daly. Welcome to the show. How are you doing?
1: Hello, Fergal. Thanks for having me.
0: No worries. Uh, you're very welcome. How are you this evening? Uh, it's, it's a bit later in Sweden, but it's about half eight here.
1: Yeah, checking in from uh, Gothenburg or Jotaburge, as they say, in Sweden. So I've moved here about two weeks ago for work. But it's funny because uh, yeah, I sent you a photo the other day. It's, uh, I literally look out over uh, the scene of one of our epic metal gigs. Uh, what, two or three years ago
0: now? we uh, be, be four years four ago. Four years yeah. ago,
1: 2016.
0: Yeah. yeah, Iron Maiden in the, the Olivi Stadium. Le- Olivi O'Le- yeah. yeah, that was an outstanding gig. Um, we might get to that later, actually. But um, yeah, you're very mm. welcome to the show. I'm very glad to have you as a guest. And thanks very much for taking the time to do this. So we've been friends since primary school, pretty much. So we've known each other for 30 years. And... Um, we have, for a long period of that time, had a parallel musical fandom in that we both like a lot of the same music, particularly with rock and metal acts. Um, and that's yeah. probably started when we were in our, you know, early teens or mid-teens, about 13, 14 years old.
1: Yeah, so we had that funny thing of, well, not quite the boy next door, but you were two streets down. So from Junior Infant's uh, location and I guess personality In the end of the mm-hmm. day brought us <laughs> two five-year-olds together. And little did we know, and well, about eight years later, we'd actually end up following similar, well, the same sort of music paths as well, which it doesn't always happen between friends, given as you summed up, no one else in our group would have went down the metal route. So.
0: Exactly, no, it doesn't, because we have a, a large group of friends, maybe 10 uh, close friends from you know the school days. And uh, not one of them, except you and me, likes heavy metal or, or heavy rock of any sort. And it, it, it's like, we, we I think we needed each other over the years to lean on uh, to, Express our musical interests because nobody else gave a fucking shit, and in fact, we gave yeah. we got a lot of stick about it. Like, oh, Iron Man. Yeah. Ooh.
1: <laughs> no, but definitely. Yeah, I mean, and and I, it's been accentuated nearly for me because I emigrated in um, 2010, I think. Now, yeah. So, like, yes, I mean, we were friends anyway, but this has like led to like a much a really strong reason to kind of keep in touch and actually go to events so like we've always had this now and made efforts as we'll get to later to go to some deadly trips and deadly gigs and since i've been away we kind of opened up that a gig didn't always have to be in
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and there'd be times when both of us would travel to go to a gig or I'd travel over to you to the UK or you'd come back here. And I think actually since you emigrated, it, t- it took a couple of years. Obviously, you were, you were living in Argentina for a while. I wasn't going to travel over there to go to see yeah, yeah. Maiden in, in Buenos Aires. But uh, I think yeah. since you moved to the UK and, and even now since you're in Sweden, unfortunately, we're in lockdown now. But when that lifts, um, there was a lot of effort uh, back and forth for both of us to meet up because we were like, it's only a, it's only a plane ride away and this is going to yeah. be... An outstanding gig, so why shouldn't we go? Although that's kind of moving ahead in the story
1: um, a bit. But I'd like oh, to start... Yeah, we won't, we won't, we won't to that. We, we have our lists. We have, our, we
0: have a, a got big here. list here. <laughs> yeah, same <I'm> here. <laughs> <laughs> which we're going to adhere to. So, so as I said, we're both metal fans, but you know, we like other types of music as well. We're not kind of the type of people who... I, I only listen to heavy metal. You know, I bleed, no. power chords, and um, that type of thing. No,
1: and just on that though, yeah, that, I think that's quite important because like... The amount of times me and you have had a beer or whiskey induced late evening on a couch when it's gone to yeah David Bowie or you know Guns and Roses, Patient, whatever like some acoustic stuff, I I'm so happy that like neither of us had that tunnel vision of only liking one genre, and I think that opens you up to so much more.
0: Yeah, and there is a large quotient of people in the heavy metal mm-hmm. fan space that's a horrible term sorry that uh <laughs> <laughs> that, um, <laughs> that area <laughs> that like are, are just die-hard metal fans and that's all they like and there's not i've nothing against that it's just that i
1: no. and yeah you meet them at festivals and they're clearly getting the same enjoyment like one yeah. of our good mates in sweden people personally yeah, you just I, you know there's times you it's great to have that range i think personally
0: so that's what i want to start with actually so um back in the early days pre-metal let's say uh yeah. Both of us were listening to music from an early age, and I know you were quite into U2, um, and yeah. that's kind of a pivotal Savourite turning the point. Time. Yeah, but wh- what would you say was the first band or first artists that got you into music, or was it any particular oh,
1: artist? It was well, two stand out like artists that really made an impact would have been, I have to say, U2, because my parents one Christmas, my presents, what was I, probably 10 or 11, I'd say, I got a CD player, like an actual. Uh, you know, not a portable one, like a, one you could lift around, but like a proper big CD player slash cassette player slash radio.
0: I remember it was like a bucket shape,
1: yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> a bucket shaped one, mm. and they gave me with it a CD which was the U2 best of 1980s to 1990s. And that yes. was only for even the sheer buzz of having a CD, literally, I was playing it, forget about the music. But then I was like, oh yeah, these like I ended up getting into U2 that way. But that was my first taste of actual music, I'd say. Mm. Other than that, my mum if you, were, you remember, because this was always a funny topic, I uh, thought she was getting me a, a double Oasis uh, album and cassette oh, form, yeah. <laughs> but she mistakenly bought me like four hours of uh, of interviews with the <laughs> yeah. so, like,
0: it was when uh, I was
1: 14, I had no interest in it.
0: It was an Oasis audio documentary over 2%? Oh, two sorry, consents. was it, yeah. Yeah.
1: I don't but, even think I ever listened to it all, but it was like, yeah, you're, my mom yeah. thought, oh, here's great, everyone seems to, it was the era of Oasis. And, yeah. Uh, Fifteen-year-olds loving them, but I was there. Oh, this is Bidelian. Oh, there's no music. It was
0: <laughs> like a, Noel first picked up his guitar in yeah. 1980. That was followed by a,
1: another guitar. You yeah. <laughs> yeah. were there at 15 or 14. Where's or Wonderwall? <laughs> yeah, what's the story here? <laughs> so then, the YouTube Two album came in after I, that Oasis one. I think someone burned me or recorded me. Um, because you don't say burn for cassettes, do you? No, you don't. Recorded a cassette of Morning what's the Sorry Morning Glory album and. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the other one <laughs> definitely maybe definitely maybe sorry two and, then, and then obviously the Oasis buzz started too but well, U2 would have been the first and the other one the first album I bought because those were all given to me which I guess had a minor impression then, but not really an impression of the long one which was the first album I paid money for I think was Travis the man who
0: <laughs> oh yeah well that's an excellent album I, yeah. I remember that well there was a lot of uh, like, singles on that. Album. singles everywhere yeah, yeah. but oh, I, I'd, yeah. I'd like to go metal. <laughs> I'd like to go back even further than that because yeah. I remember when we were younger like we were like uh, nine ten years old I remember always watching top 30 hits on Network yeah. 2 and like knowing the pop songs that were on the radio in the 90s and, and watching the MTV European top 20 and you know being quite into the songs that were on just on the radio and just popular yeah. and I never gave any thought to what genre is this or Oh, I only like this type of song, but I don't like, you know, other types of songs, whatever. It was just like, I remember recording stuff off the radio, like fucking Aqua and uh, (laughs) the Spice Girls. (laughs) And, uh, And then like whatever else, like Oasis and you know, Coolio and popular songs thinking, Oh, this is popular. This is good. And it was always really catchy. And I remember watching top 30 hits and the countdown. And then I talked to the likes of you and you'd be kind of like, Oh, did you see what was number one on top 30 hits, (laughs) which was like a local Irish TV show?
1: (laughs) Well, that's a a fond memory of mine. I remember calling around to you and like if top 30 hits was on, that was it, right? We're on the couch and watching this show. (laughs) Yeah. And you'd always have one of those token dance tunes, like children by Mike, whatever his face was. You uh, know, like Robert Miles. Robert Miles, like a single yeah. piano riff and yeah. some background dance. Um, yeah, I remember oh, watching those. Yeah.
0: yeah, so I think with both of us, I'd say music was there all the time in the yeah. background as we were growing up, and eventually our own personal tastes progressed into specific bands or whatever.
1: And just another early thing, um, maybe more subconsciously, um, the PC computer games like Doom didn't they always have? They always had like background yes, music and then Grand Theft Auto definitely I was had
0: doom rate. actually had a soundtrack that was based on heavy metal songs yeah. so if you if you listen to the um, background music in doom 1 and doom 2 the first mm. level the first episode of doom 1 is based on master of puppets it has a riff <laughs> like the dent 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 and at that yeah. age i had no idea but all of
1: the,
0: a lot of the programmers for Doom were massive metal fans and they based like loads of, of the Doom background music on Alice in Chains, on mm. uh, Pearl Jam, on um, Metallica and loads of metal bands actually. Yeah,
1: Because um, I remember, um, I think later on you brought my attention to it and then I listened back on the internet. I was like, oh yeah, they were all like heavy guitarists, but I didn't know there was such a subtle connection to a specific band or album.
0: But yeah, let's talk about that for a second because video game music was always huge Um yeah even if we didn't realize it, like you you would be sitting there playing a video game for six, seven, eight hours a day. And a lot of those video games had excellent music. And there's even bands now that have been inspired by video game music, like dragon force will openly cite video game music as an inspiration. But yeah, like, I remember even listening to it remember the music on wcw versus nwo yeah. world tour
1: like really <laughs> proper heavy guitar yeah uh, background music
0: yeah could, and you'd be like you'd be going home after playing the game humming that to yourself like that like whatever you realize now
1: like <laughs> yeah, yeah. i wouldn't be able to say it as it is in my head but yeah like but that could easily be a, a song and a hard rock album
0: yeah but uh, yeah so i'd say music was always there in the background but you yourself got into u2 um and mm-hmm. i remember that album all that you can't leave behind was quite a good album to, like that that was very popular that's, at, yeah, at the yeah that's time.
1: when uh, they kind of they had i guess what we'll get to later about metal bands they kind of had a bit of a resurgence with that album in the early 2000s
0: they did indeed actually yeah they did um but i remember queuing up for slain the first Slane that u2 announced yeah. in 2001 and we were queuing up outside mm-hmm. a shop that's no longer there Music City in Dunleary, and uh, rest in peace. We, we it was it was back in the days when you had to queue up overnight for tickets. So I think we queued up overnight, like we got there at like two or three in the morning, whatever, with permission yeah. from our parents, of course. And uh, we basically <laughs> queued up to get you two tickets for Slaying, which is like the hottest ticket in town in 2001. And when we were like I don't know a, a few meters away from the top of the queue, maybe four, look, four meters, four, or four, no, people. four people, four people. <laughs> four people away from the top of the queue we were told the tickets had sold out and that was very disheartening Uh, like
1: it was the next morning wasn't it like we started like a reasonable time in the evening we even had people who were going to like nemo or paps who actually joined the queue at 3am yeah then (laughs) the next morning at i guess just half nine maybe they opened at nine we got all the way around the corner and we were fourth I, i
0: should i should mention here that nemo and paps were late bars or oh, nightclubs yeah. in Dunleary, <laughs> um, where men of low moral fiber used to uh, <laughs> hang out. But, um, yeah. Yeah. You did. You had the drunken hooligans joining the queue at the back and it did, it was a bit of, a bit lively, a bit of banter, whatever. Um, but it was so disheartening not to
1: actually yeah, get was, the tickets. Cause we up. thought, we knew, we thought this time, like we'd never done an all night queue. We knew it'd be a bit, but like busy. We just thought, you know, all night, there's no way you can't get it. And yeah.
0: And then we didn't, unfortunately, but um across the street from uh, across the street sorry from music city was uh a music shop co- called golden discs which is actually still there um, although I, I think it did close alert? well it, yeah it closed at one point but it reopened in the same premise um yeah. unnecessary trivia there for anyone listening but uh we, me, you and uh, our friend Lambo, Connie Lam, we all went across to Golden Discs and we were like, well, we had X amount of pounds as it would have yeah. been in those days to buy a U2 ticket. And we didn't buy one, obviously. We all ended up buying <laughs> Appetite for Destruction on CD yeah. um, on the same day at the same time. And I think all of us knew some of Guns N' Roses, but we didn't
1: know. Kind of knew of them, knew the image, but wouldn't. Well, I guess probably heard Sweet Child of Mine maybe. But other than that, I was pretty ignorant yeah. Yeah, we, we so were, it was like we wanted to know more.
0: <laughs> so we would have been fifteen at the time. Um, now, at the time, I would have had CDs. Like, so I had I had a Nirvana CD actually at the time. I had Nevermind. I remember buying that um, after I got my first job. It was one of the first CDs I bought with my own money. Although I can't remember the actual first CD I bought, unfortunately, because it's one of these questions that comes up, and I'm like. It could yeah. have been this, could have been that. I'm not sure, but I remember having Nevermind
1: and really that, liking it. That one's important. I had that written down. like that goes as. I mean, that was a lot of people's first hard album back then.
0: Yeah, definitely. Mm. And and what made me buy that was actually my brother uh, got a CD, the Nirvana Unplugged album, and right. I was listening to that. It, you know, I shared a room with my brother, and obviously yeah. that was acoustic, but I loved that album. Like from start. To I remember you excellent. playing that to me in the room. Yeah, it was really good. Yeah. It was it was, it was fucking brilliant, and like to this day, it yeah. still holds up pretty well. It's, a, it's an excellent live performance. But, um, I was like, I'm gonna buy a nirvana album now. Like, I have money, you know, I earn 30 pounds yeah. a week. <laughs> I can buy <laughs> I spend that in a Nirvana album, I can buy a Nirvana album for 20 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I remember buying mind but um, I also remember a bit of there was a bit of ACDC. I remember buying um, Let There Be Rock, and I bought that because my brother at the time, Rob. I've got a lend of an ACDC video um, and a Led Zeppelin video. So he got a lend of ACDC fly on the wall. I, yeah,
1: I remember.
0: Yeah. yeah. And he got a lend of Led Zeppelin. Uh, the song remains the same. Now, when I say a lend of a video, I mean a physical lend of a physical video <laughs> <laughs> from a man in work, like VHS. Yeah, like before file sharing, people actually got stuff from you know a man in work or people yeah. they worked with, and with with the hope that that video would one day be returned. But I know for a yeah. fact that those two videos are still in my parents' house twenty years later. <laughs> so <laughs> the guy who worked in Musgrave's never got those videos back. But um, and I remember he had carefully drawn the ACDC logo onto the little spine of the video, um, in, in the actual style of the lettering that you see on the album. So there was a lot yeah. of care care put into that. Whoever <laughs> did that, uh, and now it's sitting in my parents' in the house. trainer household. But I, I remember watching "Fly on the Wall," and I'm sure I played it for you as well. Like it's a kind of, um, it's a promo video of five of the songs from that album. But they're playing pool, and there's a, a cartoon yeah. fly flying around,
1: and it's a, like, a yeah, little, it was a bit of a funny, funny one. Like, yeah, it's a bit of a like, it wasn't yeah. like there was no crowd or wasn't there. It was like a video.
0: They were playing in a, like a dive bar, basically. Oh, yeah. um, but it was like, um, uh, it was like a, it was like, um, it's like a stage. Yeah, like directed cut like. Yeah, it was exactly yeah. yeah, it was like a little a mini film or something like that. Yeah. But I remember watching it going, yeah, these are pretty good, but I don't know if they're as good as I'm supposed to think they are. Yeah. Little did I know that like Fly on the Wall is seen as one of the worst ACDC albums of, of all <laughs> time. <laughs> but uh, but I remember buying Let There Be Rock and not not quite thinking it was amazing um back in those early days. But mm. I think Guns and Roses was a pivotal movement for all of us, uh, or pivotal moment, sorry because that's a fucking outstanding album and I think we all loved it
1: immediately yeah that was that was what I remember after going this we went and got like a a a fry up breakfast in the shopping center and we were just looking at the album cover and remember you'd be all CDs what you miss now you could take out the booklet and read the lyrics and stuff was
0: that a Graham's grill yeah
1: (laughs) Yeah. in the corner (laughs)
0: yeah (laughs) fucking hell forgot that existed
1: yeah I remember that sitting down because we had the CD then and um I remember once you opened it up, there was that image at the back of your one uh, you know being just having been raped by the robot
0: the original <laughs> was, uh, cover of the album, which was your yeah.
1: band yeah, which had to take it away and were like Ooh, this is this is parental censorship and yeah, then like we all went back and yeah, it was like a playthrough album, it was like, never heard a sound like that yes <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah and i I think as well, for all we knew back in two thousand and one, guns and roses were finished and, and I mean in many yeah, ways they were like but uh yeah.
1: Yeah, because we kind of, in that area, we'd be getting into bands, but we, we'd be ignorant of the actual status of them, like in terms of are they gigging, are they together? We just know, here hear an album was good, get it and listen to it, and then we'd be like, all right, how old are these bands? Oh, they're, they're not talking to each other, or oh, they're still kicking. So, yeah. yeah, Guns N' Roses would have been just before you Your Illusion. No, sorry, they would have been broken up for like eight years then.
0: Yeah, or yeah, slightly <laughs> like, less, but yeah, yeah. the mid nineties it all fell apart. Yeah. Um but yeah, like I mean the mid nineties to me back in two thousand and one was a fucking lifetime ago.
1: <laughs> like,
0: yeah. wh- whereas if you if you think back to two thousand and fourteen now, you're like, Yeah, hey, it's only half an yeah. hour ago. You know, it's, That's um, yeah. But um okay, so we all got Appetite for Destruction, we all loved it. And um mm. I remember then myself anyway going on to buy a few more CDs. So I remember buying um, a couple of Green Day albums about um yeah. Ducky and um time of your life or is that the name of the album yeah uh,
1: and then i'm sure sorry. you would have bought a few like in the following i did the back. classic daily move and bought a best of boss so i think got, uh, dookie or yeah dookie yeah
0: yeah yeah and then um international
1: bestseller international hits or something
0: international super hits i think that yeah. was a couple of years later actually i oh, was um, it? yeah i might yeah. Have got dookie then but uh, i remember just kind of getting into some harder rock bands and um it was like it was kind of all started by Guns N' Roses. Then I remember another kind of pivotal moment for me was I went into town. It was probably with you because that's what we used to do back in the day. I yeah, went into so. town and bought Back in Black by ACDC. And yeah. um, I remember I had to go to work that night at 8 p.m. I was working in a pub in Kaline, called The graduate. It was my first ever job. And um, I got back to like my house around six half six had dinner and i only had time to stick on the first track or first couple of tracks before i went to work yeah. and the opening riff of hell's bells played and i was christ almighty this yeah. is
1: unbelievable <laughs> like, <laughs> that song yeah i remember hearing that for the first time you must have brought me over a few days later it was yeah brilliant
0: then i remember you bought the dvd stiff upper lip live not too yeah. long after that um, and we used to watch it in your house, and that was also mm. unbelievable. That was just a
1: yeah, hard to finish. I have that in my room when I go back. And Excellent. I don't know if it was then or a bit later, but I think the first DC album I bought, which was amazing, I thought, it was the double live album.
0: ACDC, AC/DC Live. ACDC li-
1: Live, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, like, each, each song was from a different show. It wasn't, like, a one show. Yeah, there was, was one like from Slane, songs. actually. Yeah. Slane 92, I think. And right? he announces... Um, yeah, he says Dublin in the intro, but yeah. that must have been Slane. For, we got uh, a sound for you, Dublin yeah <laughs> it's not Dublin so I remember that and that was I think some of the songs in that are you know, more powerful or whatever um, than the album was like just, definitely it's amazing
0: the, the likes of um, uh, Who Made Who or yeah. Money Talks or uh, M. what else The Razor's Edge the version yeah, of that that is... riff
1: is so much better in that live version yeah. way heavier and faster as well it's brilliant
0: so, so I think I'm, I'm trying to paint a bit of a picture here so yeah. we were basically getting more and more into heavy music and um, as we, you know, as we grew up and as maybe the, the year passed between.
1: Then and, sorry, go ahead. Probably have to, for me, there's, there's one key album there as well that, um, uh, at around 15, I was probably my first, uh, full passage into a metal album was, uh, the Metallica Black album. Okay. So, so let
0: me get to that in one yeah. second. Right. But before that, I remember, um, we were big into Guns N' Roses and there used to be a shop that existed on the keys on the south side called Rhythm Records. And yeah. I remember going in there one day and they had bootleg DV, or not DVDs, Jesus, bootleg videos like VHSs and bootleg CDs. And I bought a bootleg video of Guns N' Roses, the Guns N' Roses performance um, from 2001. Yeah which was like, it wasn't their first show they'd done since the 90s. It was their second show I think they'd done. Um, And it was like featuring Buckethead and Robin Fink. And I didn't even know Guns N' Roses still existed at the time. And neither did you, realistically. Uh, And I bought the CD and video version of that. And I remember bringing that home and watching that going, what the fuck? Guns N' Roses (laughs) still exist. They have new songs and they have a guitarist that wears a mask and a bucket over his head and all these weird fucking... um, you know, '90s rocker people playing yeah. guitar, and I think that was like another kind of huge thing. We were like, music exists outside of our knowledge, and how do we learn more about this? And like, yeah. how how can I get more information on this?
1: And just I, this would have been kind of pre-internet. I mean, like, not everyone would have had internet, and yes, sure, no. nobody had a smartphone. So yeah,
0: none of us had a smartphone. Mm. Um, but what I was going to say is that led me to start buying music magazines. So I started buying Classic Rock magazine. Mm. Um, And that was just such an educational tool. Um, But yes, to go back to your point then, around that time, we all started doing guitar lessons.
1: Guitar lessons.
0: Yes. So we got into... So just talk about that for a second, actually.
1: So I... Our friend, uh, Connell Toomey, who's your co-host... On
0: the Feckin' Checkin'.
1: Feckin' Checkin'. um, He, I believe, was the man with the plan who uh, wanted to... Yeah, do some guitar lessons and um, you I think then were the next most enthusiastic chatting to him to get involved and I think I was like a, a sort of a kind of a hang along then who was like oh, I'll give it a go and <laughs> Toomey had the connection of a teacher a teacher named by Gordon New. if he's yeah. out there
0: Shout and, out uh, to you Gordon just,
1: yeah. <laughs> How are you? He just lived up the road um, from uh, Toomey so yeah we all signed up to like once a week uh, half an hour or an hour lessons in gordon's house a group lesson with three of us and one other guy and we all didn't even have guitars before the lessons so we're like right we have to buy some stephen Dillon. yeah <laughs> <laughs> stephen dylan <Dillon. laughs> uh, another uh, from our past um but yeah so i went out and bought like a token what do you get when you start a cheap uh spanish guitar for under 100 pounds you you bought this a squire electric did or did you have one no i had a
0: dixon copy. I think it was a, a copy of a Squire. Uh I don't even know.
1: Like, Squire's I, a copy of Fender.
0: <laughs> sorry, yeah, it was a Dixon copy of a Fender then. Sorry. Yeah. Like, I have, I have zero knowledge of guitars, as you know. Like, I know the odd thing yeah. about one or two, but I remember at the time, people used to ask me, what kind of guitar do you have? And I just yeah. went, uh, it says what Dixon on it.
1: <laughs> it, play, it has six and, strings. It was,
0: it was electric when everyone else was playing a, acoustic. It was also a right-handed guitar that I strung yeah. upside down because I'm left-handed. You so were, it was, it was were, a farce.
1: You were a, a Kurt Payne or Jimi Hendrix incarnation with that. The renegade of the class. Everyone else had their uh, cheap acoustics. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, so we we did uh, the group lessons for, I'm going to say, six months maybe. And then you and Toomey kind of lost interest. And yeah,
0: we did. I don't think it was quite six months. I, or I, maybe even, yeah. Memory of about 12, 12 weeks, I think.
1: Uh, yeah, probably that was what months. you would have paid for in blocks. So yeah. we'll say three, three months. And then... But the first few lessons that I took to it, like, um, like whatever wildfire, I was like hooked. I was literally like the cliche of, "What is this sound?" Just yeah, like yeah. Russian twenty one twelve. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I went home and I was literally putting in the graft. But for me, it was like a joy. I I just started being in the room for one hour, as I got better, two hours, then three hours. Coming out, my fingers would be in bits, you know, from just pressing against the strings. Whereas mm. every week we'd been up, and you and Timy'd be like how'd you learn your three songs You like ah, played it for 20 minutes couldn't really get the chords
0: yeah so, so after yeah? no go on sorry he,
1: i was just gonna... go, so after the three months like the group kind of disbanded and then i had a chat with gordon and he um gave me an option to do in one-on-one classes for a while hmm. and so basically i i did uh i don't know maybe two three months of that maybe and he um basically just took me the, his his group ones were upstairs in a like nice sitting room, but uh, when it was one on one, he basically took me to a downstairs, almost like a studio setup where he had a laptop, keyboard, amazing amp, and deadly electric guitars. One on one, like gave
0: it a you special know, treatment. F-
1: yeah, <laughs> he did not do anything to me. So. <laughs> but <laughs> but now he, um, you know, you know me, and I like to ask questions. But I specifically remember we had some classes where we didn't even touch guitar because I'd be so amazed at all the stuff, and he'd show me some riffs. That I'd actually talk to him for, like he'd overshoot the session by 20 minutes. Mm. And in fairness to him, like there was one time when we actually didn't play anything, he didn't charge me. He was like, oh, "Yeah, yeah it's, it's all right." Like, but I remember he, he took was a me decent down guy. And, yeah, he was a really nice guy, and but really good at guitar. So the first time I got him one-on-one, on one, I was like, "Can you play us a solo?" And back to Guns N' Roses, yeah. on the acoustic guitar, he pretty much played the lead for um, "Paradise City." And Which then there's a few metallic leads. And I thought, this is my ignorance at the time about music and sp- even and guitar. I was like, I thought you couldn't play those unless it was electric guitar. Like, I thought, <laughs> you, feel, you know, there's something you can't play that on acoustic. <laughs> yeah. like, no, you can do it on any guitar. It's just... Well,
0: <laughs> there was a time where you taught rhythm guitars and lead guitars yeah. were different types of guitars.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's actually, that was one of my questions for me. I used to think rhythm... <laughs> Yeah, we the more round ones and the lead were like the, the jagged looking uh, Fender guitars.
0: Because you'd be reading in the booklet yeah. for Guns N' Roses, you'd be like, slash lead guitar, yeah. Izzy Stradland, rhythm and guitar. Like, yeah. oh, there's like, different types of guitars. Yeah,
1: and they always, obviously a photo, they just each have their own guitar, personal preference. I was like, no, they're different guitars.
0: <laughs> but uh, sorry. But, but anyway, go.
1: yeah, digress. So Gordon Leary, uh, one of the sessions when I was grilling him, he gave me the whole tablature for the Black Album by Metallica. Mm. And... I remember I that. think it must have been him because I can't remember who else it was from. Aunt. But I got a burnt Metallica black album. But your
0: your dad actually photographed or photocopied that entire tab book in work for you, I remember.
1: Yes. <laughs> I actually forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I gave it to my dad. It was so sort of, Gordon's was the official one you pay for, like where each page had to fold and whatever. Mm-hmm. And my dad went in and photocopied the whole thing, so I gave it back yeah. a week later. And thinking, now oh, that must have been a right pain because I wouldn't do that for my son now. It's
0: <laughs> so 100 pages long or something yeah. like that. For
1: each page, you'd have to stretch out, put yeah. it face down, close the printer. Yeah, because yeah. you couldn't just put it in and it would feed through because it was well, a linked to
0: He obviously saw something in you.
1: Yeah, my dad's influenced. But, but um, I think either Gordon Leary or if we just hit the year of Napster, I printed out the Black album then. But somehow I got my hands on it just a burnt CD of the Black Album, where I, pr- I remember I printed it again, printed out an al- the album cover and stuck it in the CD. Well, case.
0: I remember you having a, a computer with the internet firstly and a CD burner a lot yeah. earlier than any of us did, any of the rest of us did. So I remember going over to your house to burn CDs and bringing over stuff. Mm. So somebody obviously lent you the Black Album and yeah, you wouldn't have yeah. burnt that. But i um, that I'd just like to make one more point about guitar lessons is that uh, <laughs> you progress so quickly And you were such a natural that me and Toomey actually got put off learning guitar (laughs) because you were so good. We were like, we'll never be as good as this. So we both just quit. Never to play guitar again. No, it's not your fault. We were just lazy. Well,
1: actually, it's funny if you look at it, it's going on that used two are Continuing in the creative uh, wing, and I've pretty much uh, settled for the comfortable life now. <laughs>
0: yeah, well, let's let's <laughs> not forget that you were in a band for a long time as well, though. Let's mm-hmm. not discount that.
1: Well, before this, I was picking up the acoustic playing a bit of Judas Priest. So.
0: You were saying, yeah, you he- have the
1: same enjoyment. The Hellion, yeah, just getting in the mood for the podcast. What an intro. But um, the blackout. But yes, yeah, so so Gordon there, gave me that, and anyway, I was at a stage where I was starting to learn a bit of just basic riffs and leads. Anything more than the D chord, A chord, and the rest. And I remember now, I, I must have burnt the album myself when I got the Tablisher, but I, I got an, an electric guitar and a really small Fender amp. I got like a Squire, a fake Fender. But I remember I used to go into my room when I first plugged it in and realized what gain sounded like to play it and distortion. And I was like, again, a similar power of hearing like appetite for Destruction. I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And then starting to learn the Black Album. And so the Black Album I actually got to know was, was probably, yeah, in a funny way, the first quintessential metal album. Yeah. That I would have played through and learned inside out. So that had to have a big influence on in me, really thinking back.
0: Definitely did, yeah. And can we just mention here you bought yourself a small guitar amp first, but you later, yeah. when you've got, you got a large payout, you bought yourself yeah. a Marshall Stack amp and a,
1: a Gibson yeah. Les Paul or an Epiphone Les Paul? An Epiphone. I didn't quite have enough for the real thing of the right. Gibson, but I got a real Marshall Stack uh, a, a la, the one with the, the like the 12 that Axe or uh, Angus Young would have right behind him, during or the-
0: like Lemmy or Vermont yeah. or whatever, yeah. So, yeah, so you- I remember
1: that. yeah, I got a pay, I got knocked down as a kid and got some money. And when I was 18, uh, like I was allowed to touch it, so straight into Music Maker in town, uh, right beside what- where Tower Records used to be. And, then, um, yeah, I was they just their eyes lit up i was like pretty much <laughs> like behind the ears going i've got about three thousand pounds to spend and i want an amp like that like i've seen in the magazines and a guitar like the les paul which i found out by then was a lead guitar <laughs> 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 yeah i got that and by then yeah i just never looked back
0: the uh the famous gif of fry from futurama going shut up and take my money comes yeah. to mind
1: my- <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing and I'm not leaving with any of this.
0: <laughs> um, and if I recall correctly, like the Epiphone cost about three grand or something, didn't no, it? No, no, the
1: Epiphone was 600, a real less Paul of the summer said, Paul would have been about two and a half grand. I think. Oh, sorry. Could but be the, three. the amp was pricey The amp though. was two, two grand, 200 pounds. So, so the whole together, thing maybe, with, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I remember you spent it around roughly three grand on guitar stuff. Yeah. Um, mm. And that was the uh, around that time. I'm sure the neighbours started to hate me because <laughs> <laughs> there's not, you know, the walls aren't too thick on the on our housing estates between your linked house and I would have had that hundred watt Marshall on there. Well, not full l- volume, but luckily volume.
0: your your neighbours were musicians as well, yeah. so maybe they had some sympathy. <laughs> um, shout out to Colin Lynch. Colin Lynch, there. Yeah. Um, okay, so it's going to move on a bit. Yeah. So, um, so this I'm going to move into around 2002. So mm. around that time, uh, I remember you buying a mini disc player. Um, yeah. I didn't know anybody who had a mini disc player, and mini disc players happened to be kind of popular around then. Like, they hadn't quite taken off. Like,
1: well, it's as... safe to say they were one of those things that almost took off, and anyone foolish enough spent a lot of money on them. But then the iPods came out about a year later. Yeah, <laughs> six exactly. months later.
0: So, you had this uh, compensation burning a hole in your pocket. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> In fairness to you, like that was quite forward thinking. You bought a mini disc player, and um, a mini disc player could fit four CDs onto one disc if you recorded it at mm. long play mode. So, to us, that was like that's um, actually I think it was like three hundred and twenty minutes of music. So they were they were probably underselling themselves by saying four CDs because it was yeah. a, bit, a slightly more. But um, that, to us, that was like this is unbelievable. I can carry around four albums in my pocket um, and I can record them. I don't know. You you had a cable, an optical cable or
1: something. but it was just like tapes. You could only record in real time. So you couldn't like, you had to basically play an album to leave it over neither. Yeah.
0: Yeah, And you could put the track marks in or it automatically identified the track marks as well. Yeah. I remember that. Uh, I ended up getting one later on. And then my brother had a mini disc stereo, so I could record Mm. from CD to mini disc, like Ah, a four times the speed or something like that. Mm. But, um, what I do remember is that uh, you're, you're getting or you buying of the mini disc player influenced me to buy a mini disc player, and then around that time, I think it was your mate Dean who uh, introduced you to Iron Maiden. Um, yeah. And you went out and bought the double CD version of Best of the Beast.
1: Best and of the Beast. Yeah. Oh, I forgot there is a single CD version. Yeah, the double CD one, with, um, which you still can't find. I can't find on bloody Spotify the uh, unique single for that album, Virus.
0: No, it doesn't exist on Spotify. Yeah. Annoyingly, um, yeah. but yeah. So that, that that was obviously a huge um, turning yeah, point that, in our lives,
1: and ju- that was like probably worth mentioning. Like we we'd we'd been eyeing up Iron Maiden for a while in our trips into a town and this the record stores, and well, yeah, we were always a bit, I guess, intimidated by the by the the album covers. We always thought they must be really heavy and hardcore, with like yeah. the Eddie album covers in our ignorance of not having read about them and realizing they're probably lighter and more melodic than Metallica.
0: <laughs> yeah. But, uh, well, I, I remember being intimidated by the album covers and like, unbeknownst to either of us, like we didn't know what Eddie was. So we yeah. were looking at these album covers and I remember flicking through the CDs many times. Cause I was like, yeah. I've heard of Iron Maiden. They're in yeah. the same rack as, you know, other bands are like, and I'd be looking through the album covers and you were looking at, skulls and zombies and you were kind of like oh jesus this must be like proper fucking Uh, really heavy stuff that i I wouldn't enjoy but i was still drawn to it and i know you were kind of drawn to it as well
1: yeah we'd always pick them up and we'd be like we're not ready yet (laughs) we'd leave without them yeah so then yeah i had a a friend who i worked with uh called Deed, and he was a really good drummer so and he was yeah he was into like spans we'd all like to like a tin lizzie um the who led Zeppelin all that stuff and he liked some heavier stuff as well but he yeah so he one day when we were just stacking shelves and done stores mm-hmm. uh said uh started talking about Iron Maiden I was like yeah are they good he's like he just said oh, unbelievable drumming and guitar and you gotta listen to them if you haven't and then he recommended this best of which he must have had yeah and so yeah after that that kind of that kind of um and kind it of softens the intimidation factor. I was like, right, I'm going to go in and buy something. So I think we, next time we went in there, uh, yeah, just went to the the Iron Maiden section and saw that double album that must have been an all right price and bought
0: it. Well, do you say all right price. I have a vivid memory of that cost, yes. £25.99. Okay. Because uh, I can still picture the HMB sticker <laughs> in the corner of the CD myself. Um, so, like, b- back in the day, you were like, well, I'm getting two CDs. So, yeah. you know, that's probably pretty good. I
1: think. Around that era, I was just burning money like we had money in tons, and I probably still had a bit left from the compensation I hadn't got it yet. But I remember we just we always had money because it wasn't like we couldn't go out to pubs or anything. So we weren't spending on anything else; didn't have rent or bills. So I remember yes. just I I remember happily going into those shops and coming like spending a close to a hundred pounds and five CDs.
0: But yeah, I, I was only having this conversation with Darren there uh, during the week, just talking about always having money as like. Uh, a teen or a late yeah. teens like because we, we were all we were all working from the age of 15 or 16 and mm. like you said you weren't going out to nightclubs or pubs really you know not for a while anyway um yeah. so what else were you going to spend your money on other than you know marshall stack amps and uh, yeah. 26 pound cds <laughs>
1: yeah. i've got all this money and i don't have a, a monthly uh, rent bill or <laughs> <electricity bill. laughs> and the cheapest uh, drinking s- expenditure is like six cans of Dutch Gold. For exactly. Six cents.
0: <laughs> so, uh, back to mini discs. So I remember yeah. you um, had this double CD, and I w- I went over to your house. Obviously, I was listening to mm. it in your room. I remember really liking the Clairvoyant uh, at yeah. the start, especially the intro. And I remember really liking Virus, which was the first song in the CD because it went on reverse mm. chronological order. And then just generally liking a lot of it. And then. When when I got my mini disc player, I burnt or whatever recorded the double CD onto a, a mini disc. Obviously onto the one mini disc because that was the luxury yeah. of the mini disc player. And I remember listening to that late at night, just in my room on my own before I went to sleep, going "fucking hell, Iron Maiden are unbelievable." And like, yeah. gradually discovering more and more songs because there was so much in it. It was <laughs> like it went right from the Blaze Bailey era right back to the Paul Diano era. There was like twenty six songs in it or something. And in there you have like Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner" and you have. Signed it across, you have everything like, and uh, I remember kind of doing it in, in mm-hmm. little small bites. Kind of going, Okay, I, I love the clairvoyant, I like the trooper, yeah. I like Hallow be their name, I like uh, virus, and then but gradually you just be kind of like, This
1: I it like was, the whole fucking thing, <laughs> this is unbelievable. It was like it was, unbel- it's an unbelievable best of luck. I mean, some people purists might say, you know, but you got to get into a band by doing albums, but you know, I have a lot of time for best of us because they for me anyway led me to go, Right, now I'll go back and buy the albums well so you get that unbelievable just play through 12 15 songs yeah well, the like. career.
0: back then like i know we just talked about having money all the time but like you, you didn't necessarily either have 20 pounds to chance on an album that might yeah. be good so so you would kind of carefully select what albums you were going to buy so you would buy a best of like and i remember years later <clears throat> you you buying a double cd versions of like ozzy osborne best ofs mm. and judas priest best ofs and stuff and yeah, that it ended up Ended up, ended up helping us get into those bands as well. But, yeah. And a, a double Black Sabbath Best Of as well, which was yeah. unbelievable as well. But um, yeah, that was kind of the era of buying CDs, you know. And, mm. and then I, you, I remember you bought the, the Black Sabbath Best Of and the Aussie Best Of. And I remember ripping those to Minidisc and I'd be listening yeah. to them going, this is fucking, this, this is this is what I want. You know, this yeah, is yeah. the music that I want. And I remember, I remember specifically at the end of the Black Sabbath Best Of, there was a song called Heaven and Hell. And uh, mm-hmm. I remember particularly liking that song and I remember like probably texting you or something going this heaven and hell song I don't know this sounds like a different singer to me yeah. <laughs> none of us had a fucking notion no, like-
1: that's, that's a good point like, because me definitely even for Iron Maiden when I bought it I didn't realise that the first and firstly I didn't realise these sort of bests were in chronological order you know, yeah. they started, tend to be number one, to be the latest or the last one's the latest yeah. and vice versa. And number two, yeah, Maiden started with the different singer, Blaise Bailey, for the first four or five songs. And I, yeah. I didn't know that at the time. Obviously, you're listening though, and you're like, okay. The yeah. same with Sabbath too.
0: Yeah. yeah, and I, I remember uh, with the Maiden stuff, there were three distinct photographs on the back of The Best of the Beast. One of them with mm. Paul Deanna, one of them with Bruce Dickinson, and one of them with Blaise Bailey. And even my eyes didn't allow me to discover it, the fact that these are three different people. Different
1: people. <laughs> like, oh, we got long hair. hair well, Deano didn't, but like you're Diano looking
0: didn't. at them going, um, I mean, Blaze looked kind of like Bruce back in those yeah. days, but you're like, I didn't even cop on by looking at them visually that these <laughs> were different people. And then you look at the song credits. I remember one particular thing, actually. Um, yeah. and both, both of us agreed on this. We were looking at the song credits and we always saw the name Harris. And it was like, yeah. Harris, 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 Harris. And we, we were both aware that the song... Uh, Bring Your Daughter to the Slaughter had been number one. And I yeah. remember either you saying to me or me saying to you, Jesus, it's funny that uh, this song was written by Dickinson, who, who's not even their lead singer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's their only number one, because we, we assumed Harris was the lead singer because yeah. he written all the songs.
1: <laughs> lead singers were the, were the lyricists. That's exactly. It it's, <laughs> it's, know, so it's so
0: funny, like, uh, just well, the
1: naivety I, of it all. Like. And it just, the power of, like, no internet. You just didn't check these things.
0: No, because you couldn't. Mm. a lot of it was hearsay as well a lot of it was like oh did you hear about what this band did or whatever like but it was just that's all it was speculation and just whatever and maybe some stuff from you could glean from music magazines Mm. I remember my eyes were opened as well though and and my knowledge um, expanded massively when I bought Mick Wall's book Run to the Hills um, yeah. so that was the yeah. official biography of Iron Maiden and I think you bought it shortly afterwards as well mm. and then all of a sudden it all became clear, it was like oh they had this yeah. original singer, oh and then Bruce Dickinson joined oh and then he left, oh and then he joined again and it was just this fucking tome of yeah. information, I remember reading that cover to cover about seven or eight times and then yeah. just, just randomly dipping into it for album advice because at that point then we had started buying up all the Iron Maiden albums so I remember there was just a sh- wasn't
1: that book the one with the added last chapter like this. Yeah, so yeah. so we, we
0: got the updated version after um, right. after they'd got back together with Bruce. And I think Dave Ling wrote the last chapter or last couple of chapters, but Mick Wall wrote the rest of it. Yeah. Uh, Dave Ling was like a classic rock um, contributor as well. Uh, but yeah, so there was a shop in, in town called Borderline Records in Temple Bar. Mm. And I remember they used to sell the Iron Maiden albums for like about five or seven euro cheaper than everywhere else. So they were like 15 euro. And I remember we were kind of alternating okay, you buy uh, Paraslave and i'll buy um peace of mind and then yeah. you you buy number of the beast and i'll buy blah blah blah. so uh, like uh, eventually between the two of us we were building up the collection between us but yeah, like, yeah. that's kind of what you did in those days <laughs> <laughs> god you
1: have that one so there's no point in spending the money on that get the yeah, yeah
0: exactly and i remember just because they were like a few quid cheaper we were like this shop is the best shop that's yeah. ever existed um so yeah um
1: and you'd always get great live bootlegs
0: yeah great live bootlegs yeah i remember um Maybe maybe skipping ahead a slight bit actually, I want yeah. to talk about one of the bootlegs in particular. But so yeah. after all of this, you know, we're going through the CD era, the mini disc era, uh, and then we kind of come into the internet era. So I remember you mm-hmm. had the internet earlier than anybody else did, and um, yeah. around that time, the Iron Maiden album and DVD Rock and Rio were out. So yeah. we'd never seen an Iron Maiden live album or a DVD or anything like that, um, or a video. If you want, never been to gigs, either. Never been to gigs, really, any gigs, maybe one or two. But um, I remember you ordered uh, Iron Maiden, Rock and Rio on your dad's credit card on Uh, Amazon. Yeah, like this is like the very, very early days of the internet Um, and of
1: DVDs, I think,
0: and of DVDs. Yeah, DVDs as well would have only been about three years old at that time. And I I remember you ordered Rock and Rio, and I remember the day it arrived, you must have contacted me or texted me or something, and. um, I went up to your house and unfortunately you had ordered the region one version of the DVD. Yeah. And of course, cause we're in Europe, it's region two. So we had to find out how to change the region on your computer. And I think from Googling and Googling didn't even fucking exist back then, but we were quite you know, innovative in our approach. We found out that you could change the region on the computer, but you could only change it five times in total in the computer's lifespan. Um, and it locked on that region then afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't give a fuck. Yeah. <laughs> so,
1: uh, one, one tick gone. <laughs> yeah.
0: So we changed the region to region one, stuck in the DVD. And uh, I don't, what are your memories of that?
1: My memories, firstly, just, yeah, we, we had this, like, when it landed in the post, we had an image of, right, nice big couch, TV playing and everything. Then we're like, okay. Because the, the PC was at the back of the room where you just have two sort of wooden chairs rammed up against it so then we were relegated to that one but I did have good speakers on the PC and yeah when we finally got it to play um, yeah just just the first yeah the Wicker Man because the sound of that intro was even again heavier and a bit fuller even than the album one so just, just hairs on the back of the neck like.
0: Yeah, I remember vividly Adrian Smith walking out onto the stage. And if you watch it back now, a spotlight actually shines down on him. And it's just mm. him before the rest of the band join him. remember he, he
1: comes out alone. Yeah.
0: And, and the, he plays the opening chords to the Wicker Man. And we were just like yeah. fucking having an orgasm. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Musical orgasm.
0: <laughs> Watching this because we'd never seen them in the flesh before. You know, yeah. you can see a picture in a magazine. That's not quite in the flesh, obviously. But like you can see a picture in a magazine and, you know, that's grand and all that. But like this was the first time seeing... A moving was, picture.
1: <laughs> yeah, like, that's probably, you know, pivotal moments closest we had gotten to a gig, really. And then, yeah. Pretty much. And, so, like, uh, it's where, like, the album that probably, you know, we taught the high, highest of was when we bought Brave New World and in our rampage of CDs. Yes. Mm.
0: Sorry, I should have touched on that, yeah. There yeah. Was, there were one of those fateful trips into town, I remember buying Brave New World and Killers, Um because they had the most songs that didn't feature on best of the beast. So you'd always yeah. be looking at kind of the backs of the albums going, I don't know that song, I don't know that song. So I think there was only one or two killer songs in best of the beast. And there was zero, obviously for yeah. brave new world. And when we brought home brave new world, we were like, "But well, this is
1: fucking I remember we went to my room, <laughs> stuck it on and we did our, uh, just play the first 10, 20 seconds of each song. But like each song was like, I don't want to change it. Cause the opening minute were unbelievable kick ins. Yeah.
0: yeah. I mean, the Wicker Man, Ghost of the Navigator. Yeah. Uh, what else have you got there? Brave New World. World. The song itself, yeah. It was it was just a fucking
1: start to finish. Like, you know, holds its own. It's arguably still you know, their best song.
0: It's my favorite album of Iron mm. Maiden to this Mine day.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. But anyway, yeah, So we had we had the Rock and Rio DVD. Then we kind of got a bit ahead of ourselves. We were like, uh, we saw that Iron Maiden were playing a gig in uh, England. They're going to play the Download yeah. Festival. So this is 2003. Um. Yeah neither of us had been to many gigs at that point, Iron Maiden hadn't really been to um, Ireland in a long time. And I think both of us kind of thought naively, well, they'll never play here ever again. So, so why not buy tickets? So again, we were at your computer in your parents' house with your internet uh, booking tickets to fucking download all of a sudden. (laughs)
1: And a fucking cable landline connection. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Um, So yes, I remember at the time then uh, my sister who lives in America uh, my mom got wind of it so i had to like we had to ask our parents for permission because we were only like 17 so right. i asked my mom thinking she's gonna say no and she was kind of thinking uh okay mm-hmm. your par- parents probably said yes
1: immediately <laughs> yeah i don't remember there been any issues now.
0: yeah but you were always allowed to like, <laughs> better stuff than everybody else <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> i say but, go on yeah but um i had to kind of convince my mom like my dad does just doesn't play a role in these decisions like but uh, yeah. i had to convince her and uh she was on the phone to my sister from san francisco and my sister was like do you know they're like satanists and like, they, they, <laughs> they worship the devil and they eat their young and like maybe some of that was tongue-in-cheek but i don't think yeah. too but much your mom didn't realize so do you remember we bought um around that time there was a Kerrang special on iron maiden mm. and we both the cover bought it.
1: of eddie
0: yeah yeah and I went through all the albums, but then I had like side interviews with like Adrian Smith and Dave Murray and Nicko McBrain and Dave Murray and um, sorry, Dave Murray and Nicko McBrain were doing an interview about playing golf on their days off on tour. Yeah. And Adrian Smith, which is a timely um, discussion, yeah. was doing an interview about playing fishing or not yeah. playing fishing, sorry, going fishing.
1: <laughs> fishing. <laughs> and, fish.
0: uh, so so I, I presented this to my mom at the kitchen table. I was like, look. This guy goes fishing and these two guys go playing golf. They're not Satanists. <laughs>
1: <laughs> did she buy it? She,
0: she did, luckily yeah. enough. And I was allowed go to go um, to download, which was a complete surprise to well, me.
1: Pretty, pretty outrageous that that was our first gig, really. So we hadn't even really... Had we, none, we hadn't went to any in Dublin, had we?
0: I think we'd been to see The Strokes.
1: Sorry, okay. India, first Libya. metal gig though. And straight wet behind the ears over to England to buy ourselves with it? Yeah.
0: yeah, I'd seen, I think my first gig was the Divine Comedy and then I saw Aslan that year as well. Mm. And then I saw The Strokes and that's pretty much all I saw uh, before coming <clears throat> to Iron Maiden over in the UK. Um, yeah. But yeah, I wanted to ask you, did you have any memories from around that time or like anything that stands out when booking those tickets or anything?
1: Memory would be vague of booking them. But with my memories, I can vividly, thinking back now, I remember landing at the airport and thinking, wow, we'd been on a few school trips away, but never just by ourselves going, oh, we're in the foreign land, like of England again, in this airport. And there's no teachers and no parents <laughs> by ourselves. Yeah, And uh, just generally, you know, it wasn't hard to see someone else who's clearly going to download because they'd either have maiden t-shirts on or other music t-shirts on so just kind of getting into it let's just follow this person or ask this person and then yeah going to the festival just yeah amazing like getting pitched in the tents and yeah just vivid memories of that that first day and obviously we uh the first day we were so hyped up about seeing Iron Maiden that we um we devised a strategy that we weren't going to waste any energy of going to see any other bands (laughs) like until we wanted to go up and get position for Iron Maiden so we uh we just pitched our tent and uh, drank cans in the tent for the whole day until maybe six o'clock or something.
0: Yeah, well, I have a memory from the airport of um, obviously at the festival that used to happen in in Donington Park used to be called Monsters of Rock. And um, yeah. when we landed in the airport, we were looking for like the connecting bus or something, and we went up to the counter in our our freshly bought Iron Maiden t-shirts, and your yeah. um, one at the counter was like she was saying Monsters in Rock, but anyway, she was like. Where are you off to? Are you going to the festival? And we were like, yeah. And she's like, oh, when there's a Monsters in Rock, there's a Monsters in Rock. You're going to love it. And we were like, yes, I think we are.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Just getting that going. All right. She's, she said it's going to be good.
0: But, but I remember getting to the festival site and we'd paid for a uh, luxury camping, you might remember. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. I forgot about that. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. We arrived to the luxury campsite, obviously quite late, much later than everybody else. And the guy at the thing was like, look, guys, it's pretty full. If you want to chance it, you can go in and try and pitch your tent. But there's not much space left. We were like, yeah, we'll chance it. We'll yeah, chance it. Complete ignorance there. <laughs> so we, uh, we went in. We looked around for a long time. Couldn't find anywhere to, pl- to pitch our tent. And then eventually there was this massive wide open space. And, you know, there was a good few tents around the area. But, like, there was a, there was a clean space to pitch our tent. So mm. ignorantly without really observing the surroundings, we pitched the tent and uh, settled in for the night. There was no music that night anyway, so we just settled in and didn't kind of talk to any of the the fellow campers or anything, we just stayed in the tent. and uh, I remember waking up the next morning to the sound of, obviously, English people being like, yeah, we had a nice place in between all of the tents where we were going to set up the the deck chairs, but then late last night, two dodgy-looking blokes came in and pitched their fucking tent there.
1: And I guess it's sort matched him. Didn't think of it at the time, but the two of us are complete skinheads.
0: You're Complete skinheads. And yeah. I basically, we pitched our tent in the communal area that they had specifically designed to socialize in yeah. uh, the in next their day. Circle. <laughs> and set up their chairs in and all that. And we had completely obliviously just come and pitched our tent there. Yeah. Uh, so they were kind New of enemies. 18 year old. I yeah got a fucking clue what we were doing which i remember yeah the next day we didn't really go to see any of the other bands we weren't interested in in, any of the other bands really that's where i
1: mentioned like we only got a one day one day one night ticket we didn't get a whole weekend ticket because we were just there for maiden
0: in fairness the next day was limp biscuit so i I had zero interest in seeing those um as a headliner Mm -hmm. but um and they they actually didn't end up showing up in the end uh but uh
1: but But i think like wasn't all our energy even buying we're like we're, we're going to see maiden like Oh, it was a festival, but it was a maiden gig to us. So it wasn't like we're going for three days of a festival.
0: One hundred percent going to see Iron Maiden, and that was it. N- nothing yeah. else mattered. Uh, no pun intended there. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I remember, yeah, I remember that day. The day of the gig, we decided to drink a bit of uh, vodka and some cans in the tent. And I remember actually falling asleep. Uh, yeah, both of us fell asleep, passed out, and when we woke up and realised what time it was. Like we realised we really should be getting down to the stage because uh, Marilyn Manson was on and he was the mm. act directly before Iron Maiden um,
1: and you missed out the bit where we're in our cans drinking we, uh, oh, yes. we managed to entertain ourselves with uh, with some uh, re- recollect or recognition Ren- renditions renditions thank you. renditions of uh, Iron Maiden classics where on, I man. would hum the guitar and uh, trainer here would sing <laughs> <laughs> so and again remember- to the uh, amusement of our english friends which we I, found
0: out i remember doing um flight of icarus you were yeah. like you you sing and i'll do the, the lyric <laughs> or you sing and i'll do the guitar chords so you're
1: like i think at some point we just heard a shut up yeah,
0: we <laughs> <by did. myself. laughs> or let's not forget as well i i remember um that morning after we were woken up to the sound of people bitching about us mm there was this guy and he kept going on about the fact that he had found a shirt Oh,
1: yes. (laughs) And I,
0: I, you know, drifting in and out of sleep, there was this guy outside and he was like, I found a t-shirt. He's like, I found a t-shirt. He's like, I found a t-shirt. I was like, why the fuck is he announcing to everybody that he's found a t-shirt? And he's not giving us any other details. He's just telling us he found the t-shirt. And then when we popped our, our heads outside the tent, we realized he was selling bootleg download t-shirts for five pound <laughs> and he was actually of course saying five pound a t-shirt
1: <laughs> the old uh our first kind of full uh immersion in like strong british accents oh yeah
0: i was like why is this cunt boasting about the fact yeah. that he's found the t-shirt
1: found a bloody
0: t-shirt But yeah we made our way down to the gig it was obviously an absolutely fantastic show uh that's still my favorite concert i've ever been to
1: yeah i mean i remember we you know we Back then we had no, I still don't mind it now, but back then we were, you know, very effective crowd movers. We were just, no shame, yeah. just barge, not barge, but politely moved away all the way up. And we got just, we got a, a good bit ahead of like the center speaker. Like that's, you mm. know, set back from the stage and all these festivals. Yeah. And I just remember it was a really good location. You're, you're obviously not right up there because it's probably 80,000 people there, but you were, good but you were fully immersed in the crowds so you weren't too far back yeah and the sound was brilliant and again yeah just that first moment they came out and didn't they open with wildest dreams
0: no they didn't open with no. wildest dreams they but they did them. play it and it was the first yeah. time they'd ever played it um yeah well like that tour was the first time they'd ever played it sorry yeah. they they played it some but no they were playing a greatest hit set um i remember when they played wildest dreams bruce Dickinson was like you know, we know this is gonna end up on the internet, so take out your MP3 players, your recorders, whatever you have, and fucking spread this song all over the place. We don't give a fuck. Um, but yeah, I'm not a big fan of Wilder's Dreams, really.
1: No, it wasn't a great song. It was like they've they've got a history of this in their in their post Brave New World or another. They released a single at the start. We've heard it like before anything's out, and with hmm. same with Speed of Light when we listen to it at the fe- at a festival, which can come later.
0: Yeah, stream Speedlight, El Dorado—kind of the yeah. poorest tracks on the albums in yeah. in, in each But case. they're
1: they're probably radio-friendly, poppy ones. So you wonder—is it—is it, it yeah you know, one of their angles? I don't strategy. know. strategy. Yeah,
0: <laughs> but anyway, okay. Yeah. So, but that was an excellent oh, set list. It was unbelievable
1: like, gig. Unbelievable
0: it was basically. It was a, it was it was around when they started doing like alternating best of set lists with the yeah. new album. So when they got back together, they did the Ed Hunter tour, which was a best of. Then they did the Brave New World tour. Then they did this, Give Me Ed Till I'm Dead, and then they did Dance of Death. And then after Dance of Death, they did the first four albums in the early days, and they've done that ever since. They've alternated their tours between hits and new albums, which is I think that's a very very sound uh, strategy. Yeah,
1: it's because they yeah they they've said it themselves. They get to stay fresh with the new stuff, but you know. There are those fans of old classic bands who have no interest in the new stuff and want the classics.
0: But we got an astounding set list. They played Brave New World, The Wicker Man, which were yeah. songs we were really into. They also played The Clansman. Um, yeah. But then they played like all of the old classics like Number of the Beast and all that type of stuff as well. Like so, I just remember coming out of that going... No, we were on cloud nine fuck me, I want to do that again. I I don't know when I'm going to get to do it again. But little did we know that they had a date scheduled in fucking Dublin for December of that year. So we got to do it then uh, again quite quickly. Um, Okay, but yeah, so that obviously left an impression on both of us. I'd like to move on a bit now. So kind of after we went to see Iron Maiden, we were like, fuck it. You know, and for me, the floodgates opened. Like we we both of us started getting into like Alice Cooper, Dio, Motorhead, um, heavy rock bands like that. And we were more in tune with which bands were playing in Dublin. And yeah. he, was, he was playing gigs.
1: Because I, I don't know, did that tie-in with the internet and, we, and stuff, or did just because we were less naive. But yeah, we we, well, all of a sudden the floodgates opened, and we realized, hang on a minute, like a lot of these bands come to Dublin probably once a year.
0: Yeah. So yeah. I remember it was like three days before our leaving. cert, Alice Cooper was playing a gig in the Olympia. Yeah. Um. And we went to see that, and he just released an album called *The Eyes of Alice Cooper*, which I had bought yeah. again for like about twenty-five euro, I think, or something ridiculous yeah. in, um, in Terror Records.
1: Never got um, discounts
0: on the new releases. No, no. And then, like, there was a there was an Alice Cooper live DVD which I bought as well, called *Brutally Live*, which was based on his previous or his album from two albums ago called *Brutal Planet*. And mm. I remember watching that with you, and we were just. Like discovering this world of like mm. another musician who had like 20 albums under his belt yeah like
1: from he's i only read recently again i'm still amazed at him he's like from the, he's from like mid-60s
0: yeah well <laughs> those first two albums like easy action yeah. pretties for you they were out like 68 69 whatever yeah. um yeah it's it yeah so even in 2000 there were 30 years worth of albums like Back to Catalan, yeah. investigate yeah
1: <laughs> that's one guy and all the bands we were starting to lean towards were at least 20 Mostly thirty-year back catalogs. We were like all of a sudden liking one song. going, all right, that's ten to fifteen albums.
0: <laughs> exactly. Like, but I think back then, both of us were so open to it. And the live music DVD was a real good. It was like the greatest hits, but like a yeah. greatest hits, but that gave you a taste of the live show as well. Yeah, yeah. I remember loads of nights over in yours watching live DVDs with a few beers.
1: Yeah, and we were only saying recently, like just that era. Well, I'm away anyway, but like even when you're not living down the road from each other, like that was such a good like thing to do. Just a few beers and now you might go to a pub, but just stick on a live TV and watch a deadly set.
0: Exactly. Um, so we went to see Alice Cooper and afterwards actually, um, so it was three days before leaving, leave Insert, as I mentioned. And uh, I remember he played the song, I'm 18, which, which features yeah. the lyrics I'm 18 and I don't know what I want, which has never yeah. been more apt probably in the history of <laughs>
1: That was lyrics about to go into the big bad world.
0: Mm. I certainly didn't know what I fucking wanted. Anyway,
1: you kind of did. You wanted to be an engineer. (sighs) Just picked something, but yeah. But we were quite naive at that stage. So a very fitting song.
0: At least you're still doing what you picked. I suppose I am as
1: well. I mean, I picked business and management.
0: I'm in a business, and I'm kind of in a management-ish position. Not
1: really. Until you get, you can make it in the podcasting world and ditch that that side (laughs) job.
0: But uh, th- I, I assume you remember this because it, it sticks out vividly in my mind. After the Alice Cooper show, we we decided to stand outside the Olympia because lots of fans were standing outside. And
1: yeah, around the side.
0: Yeah, and some yeah. guy came up to us. Uh, came up to us and he's like, uh, "Hey guys, uh, you know, I'm heading back to a, a party afterwards. You guys want to come?" <laughs> and we were like, uh, "Oh, I don't know." Uh, he's like, what, "What's it going to be like?" He's like, oh, "You know, sex, drugs, rock and roll." <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember that?
1: Not. No, like there's a bit there of something like that, but I wouldn't remember the specifics like you're saying.
0: He actually I, said I, the phrase sex, drugs, rock and roll. And I think we conferred a bit and we were like, we're like no. should should we go back? And we were kind of thinking to ourselves, oh, but we have to study for our leaving
1: Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, I do. Um, now I just said that, yeah. Because we, obviously we chose no. And then we always, I remember the jokes since like... Afterwards, thinking, we said no. What the fuck did we say no for? Yeah, sex I think, drugs and rock and roll.
0: I think even on the bus home we were like, why the fuck did we yeah. say no to that?
1: that but else? Uh, yeah, yeah. some memories now. It was just going, we're idiots. Like what? the scene from Dumb and Dumber, like yeah, like the, bus the at town the end. is back that way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we had it on our place. I'm like, said no.
0: I, I can guarantee you, I didn't fucking study a tap yeah. the next day. So, like, what was the yeah. point in saying no to that? Anyway, <laughs> uh, we were two dumb fucks. But then. Um, no. But yeah, Alice Cooper was a great show. Then we went to the likes yeah. of Dio. I, I remember seeing Dio in the Ambassador. Do you remember that yeah. show?
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, I remember. Um, we'd we we'd, we'd discovered by then who Dio was, and he was the man in heaven and hell. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and also, we got to find out like he had that fucking miles, yeah, milestone album of. Um, it's called Dio in Rock, or is it just called Dio? Yeah, the first album.
0: Uh, Holy Diver.
1: Holy Diver, so yeah, and then obviously that, We Rock that, is the next one. Yeah, but yeah, the song, the Holy Diver played through uh, with Vivian Campbell, and just yeah, that was that album for me. And it was again, and for you, I guess, was like holy, fuck, this guy is like almost like the voice of metal.
0: Completely, <laughs> really, yeah, uh, and I remember that that particular gig was the Holy Diver album played in full. So he played Holy hmm. Diver front to back, and then played Gates of Babylon. Gates of Babylon. Which
1: we Uh, had heard before with Rainbow, but
0: yeah. uh, Yes, Gates of Babylon. uh, He played like Tarot Woman. And Mm. then he obviously played Heaven and Hell from Black Sabbath and stuff. And Mm. I just remember at that going, if I didn't know already, I fucking know now. Like This is the music for me. And that was just such a fantastic show. And I'm so glad we got to see him because we had tickets to see him with Heaven and Hell, the band. Supporting Iron Maiden five years later. And mm. between the time the gig was announced and the show happened, he died of yeah. stomach cancer. Uh-huh. So that like, could have easily been one of those things we missed if we hadn't have been on the ball
1: I remember having a really poor quality, like Sagem phone, you know, an old phone uh, picture of that gig. I mm. could just make out Theo like silhouette, hands up. But yeah, yeah, I think like he'd be one of the few artists like a big regret was only being able to see him once because everyone else we've kind of loved we'd we'd normally we've had opportunities to see multiple times but with him we didn't unless we travelled I guess
0: that's true but that leads me onto Motorhead so we kind of got into Motorhead um, maybe a bit later than some of the other bands but Mm. Motorhead played in the Olympia on Halloween night in 2006 and uh, I remember I dressed up as Slash for that show Uh, I wore a top hat a leather jacket and and a pair of shiny black trousers and uh, a
1: you have the wig I had a wig as well, yeah, yeah, Sorry, I had we a big
0: wig, yeah. just because it was Halloween, but yeah. I remember going to that and we stood on the balcony in the Olympia, so the Olympia is like a theatre for anyone listening who doesn't know, um, we stood on the balcony right beside the bar and mm. Lemmy came out and he's like, we are Motorhead, we play rock and roll, and just for like an hour and 40 minutes we were just like, this is fucking
1: outstanding. <laughs> like, you read when you read about it after in his interviews are people saying like, the decibel level at their gigs was quite high. Like, yeah, it was just unbelievably loud and brilliant. Just fast paced, speed induced action for whatever, one and a half hours, like you said. Yeah. I remember
0: being fucking deaf after that.
1: I yeah. definitely do. Um, Your ears would be ringing for two days.
0: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> seriously, seriously ringing for two days and not even an exaggeration. Um, So, you know, we're firmly planted in heavy metal, hard rock at this point. Um, yeah. There were a lot of kind of gigs I missed. We, we both missed around this time, actually. I remember mm. like um, Heaven and Hell. So that was like Black Sabbath, the Dio lineup, reunited, but they couldn't use the name Black Sabbath because of yeah. legalities, whatever. But um, they reunited and they were doing a gig or they were doing a tour in the UK and Iced Earth were going to be supporting, which was another band we got into yeah. as well. And for some reason, like I initially decided, yeah, I, I'd love to go to that. And then we just didn't go. And then like... Mm. Iron Maiden were playing Twickenham Stadium in 2008. Just didn't go. We
1: started to become chickens. Yeah, oh, yeah. After okay. having
0: like the wherewithal to drag ourselves over to download in the UK yeah. for five years previously, there was just all, there were all these opportunities coming up. Like, and I I so regret missing the um, yeah. Heaven and Hell and Ice Earth show because yeah. that would have been when Tim Ripper Owens was singing with Ice Earth. have and
1: and stats, you know. For me personally, that's still a big regret of mine. I've never seen them live. Yeah. And well, I, obviously, we'd never have seen Tim the Ripper on as well. Yeah. No, because uh, because like, we're like their album, like up there for me. And um, that Alive in Athens one would have been very influential. Alive in They're Athens, yeah. Alive, this by them. And we always thought, if artwork was ever um, a, a pull for us buying albums, we always were drawn to them because they had really similar covers to Iron Maiden.
0: Yeah, so I remember that. they had like their their mascot yeah. Set Abomine, I think it's called, and uh, I remember it, like just as much as I flicked through Iron Maiden albums and was intimidated by them, even after we had got into Iron Maiden, yeah. I kind of looked through. They the were like, yeah, because they were in the same section. It's like I C I R. You'd, you'd be looking hmm. at them going,
1: yeah, you'd always stumble across. Them
0: yeah it was like if Iron Maiden were fucking scary these pricks are
1: even scary yeah. and because you wouldn't have heard anything like you, once we got into Maiden you could find a lot to read about them because they were massive but I certainly weren't so you couldn't read you know they were hard to find stuff on so they had that yeah like these must be really underground and heavy but I remember you got the uh, not a best of it you got the covers album
0: yes and so actually yeah. it was St. Patrick's Day in 2002 and uh, I was in town and I was drinking so I was I had the courage. <laughs> I had the courage to go up and buy an Ice earth album because I was yeah. a tipsy. <laughs> so I went up <laughs> to, the, to the rack.
1: Head above the counter, one Ice earth album.
0: Uh, and shockingly, <laughs> HMV was open on St. Patrick's Day. So I went in uh, a bit pissed and I, I yeah. was kind of picking up the albums, looking at them and I was like, oh, this one has um, a cover, ver- like this one is cover versions. It has um, How Be Thy Name, it has Number of the Beast. Um, so I was like, and it has like, AC/DC I had like some on it. Kiss
1: songs, isn't it? As well? Yeah, I didn't yeah. really know Kiss back then. Blue Oyster Cult as well.
0: Blue Oyster Cult. <laughs> so I went up to the till and I bought uh, Tribute to the Gods, went home, and I will credit that album for getting me into Alice Cooper, getting me into Blue mm. Oyster Cult, and getting me into Kiss, because I had cover versions of songs by all of those artists, uh, and yeah. obviously Iron Maiden and stuff that I was already into. But that was a fucking unbelievable album.
1: And Yeah, that was quite, as you said, for those reasons, quite influential on the side, because not only was it well like as good as the best of but uh, it actually was linking you to other bands indirectly yeah,
0: completely <laughs> like i was listening to like dead babies by alice cooper yeah. i was like jesus christ i like i, I know <laughs> the song poison but i didn't know he did anything like yeah. this <laughs> and then like creatures of the night by kiss you were yeah. like i might know a kiss song but i didn't realize yeah. they had anything that heavy or whatever um but then it, it was went a to...
1: double ledge thing just because because now you had links to all these bands like legends but it also made us realize oh, I dirt must be okay as well and it, as in not they're not scary
0: exactly yes and then <laughs> I obviously went to bought Alive in Athens which was a three <laughs> CD album and then you went to bought Alive in Athens yeah. as well and we both kind of like, thought it was amazing um, <laughs> and then I think we, we both bought The Glorious Burden, Glorious Burden. Came out, uh, Today came out on CD in HMV in town
1: uh, which the link for the listener I guess is that the gig with Tim the Ripper Owens led me to think of Ice Thirt because he's the singer in that album
0: exactly yeah so Again, I start hugely influential in our, our musical kind of um, mm-hmm. path. Um,
1: so, but yeah, yeah so, that Miss gig. Yeah, I've still never seen him. So, yeah, we rude those missed I mean,
0: chances. We rude those, day, mm-hmm. we rude those days. Um, so, then, you know, a couple of years passed. We're still into Iron Maiden, whatever. Um, we went to see them again in 2006 in that, Dublin. Was that- The dance. No, that
1: was the whole playthrough album, wasn't
0: it? Matter of Life and Death, yeah. 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 And then you moved to Argentina. What year would that have been? 2010. Right, so I think we got in a gig Mm -hmm. in the O2 Arena, as it was called then. Mm -hmm. It was um, Iron Maiden playing just prior to the Final Frontier
1: Tour. So it was the best, the best of one,
0: of no. Yeah, but they played a lot of recent hits. They played like yeah. Ghost of the Navigator and all that type of stuff. So I think we managed to get in one of those tours. But then you went to Argentina and then I kind of felt like, um, uh, I'm not going to say abandoned. <laughs> I was like, oh shit, I don't have my gig going partner and I don't have my heavy metal friend. And it was still before the era of smartphones. So I think we were both kind of isolated then.
1: Yeah, and we were just before that on Cloud Nine. Of you know, this is like the best time ever for regular gigs when you keep your eye out and you know cans beforehand, pre-drinking in deadly night outs. Exactly. Yeah. And we yeah. neither of us, I don't, I think, would have had the courage to be doing like solo gigs at that point.
0: No, I certainly didn't. Um, but yeah, so like, how long were you in Argentina for?
1: There for a year, four months. So I went in September two thousand ten, came back. December 2011 but uh, during that year I don't know if you were gonna mention this on the list but you were a big influence on me uh, getting to go to see Iron Maiden. Yeah well so Iron
0: Maiden were doing a tour of South America and they were doing Mm. Argentina and Chile so they were doing Buenos Aires and Santiago and um, I had read online that they were going to go and record a live DVD of both of those shows and pick the best of both of those to do the live dvd which ended up being on yeah. vivo um and i was like get your fucking ass to <laughs> yeah. uh, buenos aires i remember uh,
1: and and i guess yeah i was trying to think of how we would have communicated it like it would have been yeah bebo or something wouldn't it bebo
0: be? or a text message yeah. or facebook so or something
1: like that it wouldn't have been like an instant text but unless they had the computer open you were literally going here do it mm. and then i i was checking i think it was sold out wasn't it formally Oh so, yeah, you
0: had to go and get a ticket yeah. somehow Underhand. So I had to go
1: on some second hand website in Argentina and I still was apprehensive and just yeah a bit scared of meeting people on my own in Buenos Aires but, but a colleague in work, it was a work day mm. uh, when I was getting the ticket and the gig was either that night because it was a Friday I think it might have been that night or the next night on Saturday. But anyway, uh, this guy I wanted to meet at a subway station, which was miles away. And some places in Buenos Aires can be dodgy. So I was like, Ugh. But then a colleague said he'd go with me. And obviously he could speak the Spanish in the transaction. So went, met this guy, literally. And he was on one side of a gate in the subway station. Didn't cross over. He gave me the ticket. I gave him the money. Knowing, like, so many things are counterfeit in Buenos Aires as well. I was like, oh, this is dodgy. And that wasn't... Um, that was kind of reinforced by the fact that the ticket to this day is the flimsiest ticket I've ever got. It was flimsier than if you did printout paper. It wasn't like the f- formal hard cardboard you'd get in a Ticketmaster ticket. And I was like, this is definitely fake. I've been shafted. <laughs> so uh, so I got back um said, obviously, yeah, I'm going to go test it. So pre-drank, first gig I think I've been to one myself ever. Uh, all because of you, like you completely motivated me to do it. So thank you again to this day. Yeah. So pre-drank, got in a full tipsy, like kind of nagging sort of mode on the bus in, which would be to those who don't know about two hundred mil of uh, a spirit, and got like a really long bus journey out to this stadium where it was on um, uh, La Plata Stadium, I think it was called. Or sorry, the River Plate Stadium where football. Oh yeah, ACDC
0: plays. did a live album there as well.
1: Yeah, so um, good bit out of the city like centre where I would have lived. And so completely by myself, then got out, and yeah, just the vibe, because if you've ever seen DVDs in South America, the fans have a reputation of being quite yeah. vocal and mental. So just just the atmosphere was unbelievable from that, just everyone singing um, Maiden outside, and obviously flags and T-shirt stalls and everything. Mm-hmm. But I was still by myself, but then lo and behold, with the the magical uh, cover of uh, Alcohol, it uh, wasn't long before I was being adopted into like, local groups of uh, Argentinians who were just yeah just for sing songs and getting the atmosphere in and more drinking so I went to that gig and yeah that was yeah like the DVD was released of Santiago wasn't it so yeah I'm, I was
0: gonna yeah. say unfortunately they didn't yeah. release any of the footage or live clips from no. Buenos Aires
1: <laughs> but it's it, 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 it obviously at least it, it was you know gave you a good impression of the level they're at for that tour and at that stage because they're right after each other weren't they yeah so they like, were the gig was really good but which yeah. is interesting is I think that is the only album to this day that I've never bought, even though I was at the tour for it.
0: The Final Frontier.
1: Yeah, I never bought that one. I, I think my brother might have. But yeah, I, and, I, uh, and it's the one I probably know the least. I've like I've played it through a few times and stuff. But yeah, definitely the one I've delved into the least, even though I went to that tour and, and the gig was obviously brilliant.
0: I will confess I do not own Fear of the Dark to this day or Virtual Eleven. I do on all of the rest of them in some form. Uh, that, that's yeah. not including live albums. There's some live albums I don't have. But uh, yeah, uh, I, do you know what? To me, to me, it was kind of like always, I don't want to complete the collection because then there'd be nothing left. Then it's game over. Then I'm just like, Fear of the Dark isn't a good album. <laughs> no, it's not. I got,
1: yeah, I got that and, and No Prayer. And yeah, they're just okay. third and, second and third least specific yeah. ones.
0: But I do, I do like Virtual 11. But again, it'll probably be ranked down in the bottom three. Yeah. Mm. our bottom five I anyway, actually listened so. to
1: that a bit I remember I used to love Como Estas Amigos at the end yeah, that's an and I was in the song. clans man yeah. and uh, and uh, the, the Educated because I think film. I read what, what? The Educated Phil. Yeah, because I think we read in a review that that was a good song or something because I had a preconception that I needed to listen to that one mm. yeah that was good yeah right, but yeah are. so in that year uh, that was the only gig I would have went to at all thanks to you and but you got in one too didn't you because you well, that was the way you got to a gig where you saw Phantom of the Opera. So I remember that in the RDS.
0: So this is when you were in America for oh, um, shit, yeah. your summer that you did in America. I went to see before. the early days tour, or maybe it was when you were interrailing, actually. I think it was interrailing. Hmm. Um, it was 2005. Okay. Yeah. yeah um, and they played, yeah, they played the RDS, uh, the RDS in Dublin. And that was an excellent gig. Yeah, they played Phantom of the Opera and all that. that stuff. So I remember
1: you telling me they played that and I was well jealous.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, that was a very good gig in fairness. Um, but yeah, OK, mm. so that's Iron Maiden kind of, you know, covered and all the other bands we got into as a result. And then you move into Argentina and then you move to Liverpool. And mm. that's obviously far more accessible than, uh, South America. than South America. So I remember we went to see Iron Maiden in the O2 in London. And um, that was a, f- a fantastic show. Again, they were doing one of their, their hits tours. They were doing um, the Maiden England show. At that yep. time and it was just a piece of piss for me to hop on a flight and go over to, to um, we were seasoned by then Liverpool for and a short British flight
1: yeah, to travel was that, to was, there, was that before or after them? we had a new plan a new strategy?
0: No so I think it was around, around that time or shortly after so we were yeah. kind of annoyed by the gigs we hadn't gone to you know the likes of Ice Dart and Heaven and Hell and Iron Maiden yeah. and Twickenham and all that type of stuff and then you know you being in South America and stuff being inaccessible and then around that time we just said fuck it let's just go to everything from now on. (laughs) Mm. Uh, Let's just go to every gig that's within reason that we can afford to go to and let's have no excuses. And that's, other than lockdown, that's kind of what we've been doing since.
1: That's why I think this lockdown, one of the strongest feelings, like our heads impacted me after like with a kid and seeing family back home and all is literally, yeah, we had a few gigs booked and just, took them so much for granted that every year and summer we'd have a few guaranteed trips uh, and music gigs and now it's like oh yeah no gigging is happening
0: yeah mm. in recent months it's it's a pile of shite all right but um but yeah, during, so we had that packed during those years like we we really filled lot in so i think that was around maybe 2013 2014 it, it could have started with the iron maiden london gig actually maybe you're right mm. That, like during that time, we went to Festwich a couple of times, which was um, a festival in Prestwich in England, which yep. was solely cover bands, but they had like yeah. Iron Maiden, Metallica, Megadeth cover bands. Um, so it was a whole two days of of cover bands and there mm. were different stages and tents and all you were paying was like the... Um,
1: Just the booking fee on the, the ticket, Booking it was on like the ticket. 50 and, and I remember they had two days, one was like rock or hard rock, so you might get Bowie and Queen and whatever. Yeah. But day two was always more metal oriented. So, you yeah. Know, Maiden, yeah. So you Metallica. got like
0: Metallica and, and Iron Maiden or higher mm-hmm. on Maiden as they were called. Yeah. Um and then like then we kind of started getting into Sabaton. We got into Sabaton um after a chance yeah. meeting with two guys from Cork on a train when we yes, were on our way to Black Sabbath. Black Sabbath. <laughs> yeah.
1: And, and we'd yeah, we'd never had we heard of them?
0: No, I'd never heard of them. Yeah. I I'd heard the name, but I didn't know yeah. anything about them. Um But then we got into Sabaton. Then you obviously started going out with Sarah, who is Mm. Swedish and who liked Sabaton. And then you kind of, I think at one point you owed me money for tickets. um, (laughs) And you went, I can give you the money for these tickets back. Or Or. I can buy you a ticket for Sabaton Open Air, which is the same price. And it's a four day festival over in Sweden.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think I remember now that transaction.
0: (laughs) And I was like, well, you make a good point. (laughs) (laughs) Sold. Oh, I don't know. Do you want to talk a bit about the the first uh, Sabaton open air we went to in 2015?
1: Yeah, yeah I guess. Yeah. So from my head, um, I forgot that's how I got you the ticket, but it rings a bell now. Um, and yeah, I just started going out with Sarah. Maybe were we within our first year there? Because that was five years ago. Probably known her about a year at that point. And yeah, she had a friend by the name of, uh, well, we refer to him as PP, per person. But uh, he, uh, as we know now, he was a maiden fanatic and like our level by 10. He'd like been to see them, you know, dozens or dozens of times. um, Had, you know, close to 50 t-shirts from each gig.
0: Actually, by 2016, hmm. he was going to his 50th gig, which we went with to him in Gothenburg. So he would have been in the high 40s by then.
1: So, yeah, that was the, you know, the year we got three gigs, wasn't it? And he reached the golden 50. Yeah. So he uh, t- told Sarah, I guess, about, um, like, he's, he was going to go to this Sabaton open air, which was in uh, north, a place about two hours north of Stockholm, a town called Fallen. And um, Sarah was floating the idea for well, like, this could be deadly. Let's go to this. And then, so, yeah, I must have made the decision before you had, if I was saying I can get you a ticket. But then I obviously pitched it to you and given uh, our new our new uh, attitude of you know if we can go to it let's do it. Mm. You were like yeah why not? Mm-hmm. And so yeah, balls were in motion, tickets were bought. Then we realised it's um, it was like the longest thing we ever would have went to because it was four four three days of music, but you'd go for four day, four whole days I think. So you'd go on the Wednesday and it'd finish on Saturday.
0: Well, yeah, actually,
1: yeah four nights five days because really, there was a pre-show uh, although the yeah. first year
0: I don't think you, you arrived go. for the pre-show I did. no I didn't but, uh,
1: yeah you you were there
0: the pre-show was only down in the town at that stage but the following year it was a whole extra night of mm. the festival yeah.
1: so I remember getting texts from you at the pre-show and just getting like really excited because you were like yeah it's like already oh, deadly and didn't you meet some uh, some of the like the band that always show up at the pre-show because it's very low key in terms of celebrity status and following
0: yeah I, I stayed in that hostel that used to be a prison yeah. Falu Fangeles or whatever yeah. it's called um, and I walked my way down to the town and I had met a girl who was staying like not met a girl but like I'd spoken to a girl yeah. who was staying in the room next to me who was also going so I was like off oh, you're heading down give me a shout so she gave me a knock on the door and she was like yeah we're heading down now headed down with them and uh, when I got down there it was like some bands playing their own shit but there was a band playing cover versions I remember there was a band playing Wasted Years and I was like this is fucking unbelievable but we were just yeah. in that we were in the King's Arms pub like you know the King's yeah. Arms? It yeah. wasn't like a big, huge deal. It was like a festival in inverted commas, um, yeah. but yeah, it was. It, it got the the juices flowing and the, the blood pumping for the next day. But then I remember you and Sarah and PP all arrived the next day.
1: Yeah, so we um, we got the night train from Malmo in the south, and it oh, yeah. take took about eight or nine hours. But the, the PP and um, Jonas, um, it's fair to say they can they can drink, and. Uh, <laughs>
0: Well, Jonas wasn't there that year, but uh,
1: sorry, Jonas. Sorry, Pee He had another. He was
0: Peter. Was
1: Peter. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Peter. He's another nice guy. Who we met again at. Um, at or did I meet? Were you at a gig with him recently? Or was it just me? No, I never met him since. I think I think he was at Copenhagen when I went to it recently ah. for Judas R.S. Saxon. But um, yes. Yeah, so another Swedish friend of Pepe's He always kind of had a random friend he along and yeah we got the night train but like it started at maybe seven in the evening and the lads would be on the cans and I of course before then I'd be planning on getting some sleep on the train but they'd see to it that it was pretty much nine hours of drinking with maybe a few dozed off naps so cans and uh, other 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 (laughs) things Uh, (laughs) things things that Lemmy was fond of (laughs) and uh then we get there, so we were like already like we'd had a bloody day at a festival. So I got there, and met you, but because of the buzz of getting there, it was like still just kind of party mode. Mm. Then the first that year, who was who the hell was playing that year? Like, um, like social. A headline we as oh, well, Tier. Route here and um, oh, the really good bounty release released gave the free CD. Oh, Orphan, Orphan Gypsy. Orphan Gypsy. They're Orphan Gypsy. a really good local band and they gave away a free CD of like four songs, yeah. which is quite so, good.
0: So it's worth pointing out actually that um, mm. in Sabaton Open Air, they have a headliner and then they have a band that comes on after the headliner. So I think the first yeah. night it was Civil War, was that? Or did they come was on it? after the headliner?
1: Didn't Didn't think I'd ever seen them until I saw them in uh, Copenhagen the year after.
0: No, no, we definitely saw them in 2015 because they had Nils Patrick with the band. Yeah.
1: Was that, okay, so that was the first, yeah, they did a double. So. Oh yeah, are, Sabaton by then was even the new band, was
0: it? Yeah, so I, yeah. I'm pretty, I'm certain they played, but I'm pretty sure on night one they were the last band and then on night two it was Orphan Gypsy.
1: Okay, so by then, yeah, Civil War were the, for anyone who didn't know, were the, the original band of Sabaton pretty much by the singer, King. Yeah,
0: it? so four people uh, yeah. broke away from Sabaton. Um, formed Civil War and then they released their first album and yeah in, I'm pretty sure in 2015 they uh, were the last band on night one because yeah, yeah. I remember being like staying up all night to see yeah, Civil War we were more excited
1: to see them really, than yeah. to and see it, was, it was the
0: show of the fucking festival in fairness uh, like,
1: if that was that one then yeah
0: Play I remember pigs, that gig Rome was falling uh,
1: yes it was late when they came on yeah actually that rings a bell now and, and again it was half full because everyone at the festival always leaves around midnight no Matter yeah. who's on, you could have Iron Maiden there, and I reckon people would go home. At 12. Oh, they would, yeah.
0: <laughs> if it wasn't Sabaton, yeah, you'd yeah. have With fucking the Elvis
1: Presley there. <laughs> yeah, it's like now twelve. We're going home.
0: <laughs> he was, he was alive the whole time. Uh, ah, yeah.
1: fuck it. <laughs> he was hiding out in northern Sweden. But um, the festival as well, as we saying, is like it's probably the best, one of the best layouts I've ever been to, and that it's really cozy, isn't the right word? I don't know, but it's low. There's only probably I'd say a max capacity of ten. Five thousand people, maybe, and I It's never been full. Like it's comfortably busy, so like you're never like the feeling of the downloads or whatnot. Where oh my god, this is going to be hell. <laughs> bar the yeah, music, absolutely. So you, so you have a nice bar. You can drink up there. You can pre-drink. Just every another thing. It's no Or we didn't camp. We stayed in a hotel. So you're pre-drinking in a hotel room, and then you stroll, literally 15 minute walk, and you're at the festival.
0: Yeah.
1: So, so that, since then, just the uh, last point to I can is that that's kind of become a, 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 a pillar of our gigging years, which we've missed out for the first time in five years this year because of the damn virus. Yeah,
0: fucking bastards. But yeah, it has, been a, it has become a pillar, but, but also it kind of feeds into the fucking mentality because i know you've gone to Sapaton gigs you've gone to see civil war power all these bands mm. and in dublin i've just said fuck it as well i've gone to see blaze yeah. bailey i've gone to see um opeth i've gone to see whoever the fuck is playing night True,
1: actually yeah good point that that probably was the first festival where we it opened our eyes into the i guess the non-mainstream metal because all the bands so now are obviously like legends of the era that we went yeah. into. So yeah, now it's...
0: That yeah. kind of leads us into the final topic I wanted to discuss <laughs> on this podcast, which is where we are now, which is kind of the, the Spotify era and the new wave of British heavy metal. So yeah. I actually wanted to ask you um, an open question here. Um, yeah. Actually, it's not an open question. It's a closed <laughs> question. Uh, <laughs> right. So with the advent of Spotify, do you think this has changed music for the better or for the worse?
1: I'm going to uh, answer that question with another question. (laughs) Um, I've thought about this, and I'll give you an answer. But firstly, I think it won't truly be seen until this wave of artists retire or die out, as in the the maidens and all. Because after that, I think whether new bands can step up to that place, if they can't, I think that will be sort of the death of, yeah, band, but like the stadium metal, or not even stadium, the arena metal, in which case, yeah, that, that would be sad. If other bands step up to the plate and you still have bands of that stature able to do those tours, then maybe not. it's not mm. as critical a blow. But currently, we still have those old bands who still have the following. So Spotify, they, they already had the following before Spotify came. So for yeah. us, we, we can always go to those gigs.
0: Mm.
1: Whereas, yeah, those bands who've just kind of started to really release the albums and Spotify's there who don't have that income I have a feeling they will never be able to step up to that plate and that's when we'll see a big change in the industry which revolves around gigging really now yeah so for that that happens I'd have to say worse because I can imagine even though I've had much more access to music and that's great I can still imagine I would have got equal joy in the 80s finding all those bands in those record shops and Mm. all the rest and I do miss CDs, like I only had the experience of CDs, but I do miss that joy. It costs money, but like, yeah, I miss going in, buying the CD, having that tangible booklet. And and another thing which I notice, you know I'm terrible with lyrics, but I used to know a lot more because I would actively read the CD booklets. But now i sure I could listen to a whole album on Spotify and not even remember the name of the song, even though I know the song well. <laughs> because I've always realized I've played kind of the album too, and obviously I don't go to look at the phone. Every yeah. time a new song changes. Well,
0: yes, I, I can relate to a lot of that. I'm the same. Any band I got into post-2014, I know fuck all of their lyrics. And mm. it, it's a real effort to go and learn them because <clears throat> I used to be, like you, I used to be looking at the CD <clears throat> booklet and going, oh, you know, That's what especially it says. the likes of Guns N' Roses back in the day. I, yeah. like the song like Coma or something, like. I used to sit there and especially the last few minutes of it, I'd be like, I play that on repeat while looking at the <clears throat> lyrics until I knew it off by heart. And yeah. obviously now that, That just doesn't exist. Um, Mm. That's an interesting point about the older bands dying out. And it's a good point because somebody might counter and say, well, the Beatles have a lot of plays on Spotify and and they're Mm. not um, around anymore. But the Beatles don't have as much plays as Miley Cyrus or Lady Gaga or or currently popular acts. And it, it plays into what you're saying in that when those older bands finally die out, then we'll really see, there'll be the real test of what happens next. What I'm interested to see as well is what happens next with those festival headline slots. Like, what is going to happen when I'd say Metallica have a good 10 or 15 years in them, right? Mm. I'd say Iron Maiden might only have five years in them. Um, Yeah. Judas Priest, five years. Black sabbath are already gone. I'd say they might come mm. back for a, a, a fucking victory lap. Like, but uh, yeah. you know, at most two years wow. there.
1: Like, Aussie, I've still got tickets for the, whenever he's gonna play. The okay, was that.
0: supposed to play in t- two thousand and one.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> tickets at the fourth cancellation. Eh?
0: Then, like you've got the likes of Scorpions, who are big in Europe again. I give yeah. them two or three years, and you're
1: looking at kind of Sabaton. Like, there's a few bands I could think of who wouldn't be that big, but who are that age that they'll have maybe twenty, thirty years. Maybe so, Sabaton that bloody band that are avenged sevenfold they've yeah. headlines i'd give them a headline haven't yeah yeah um
0: I uh, take, i'd say ghost as well
1: maybe ghost yes yeah, So yeah. sorry they've got to be quiet but yeah they're they're gonna be about that size i'd say
0: mm. but, but and, and then like yeah. when you look at the likes of the you know the second band
1: down or the headline Kiss of kiss with actual stage. new members just the same makeup well yeah, I think
0: they've been talking about that for years. We'll see if yeah. that actually happens. Like I don't I go. think Gene Simmons' ego would be too big to allow that to actually happen. Yeah. Um but then like when you're talking about the second stage down then like so you know even mm. like the likes of Saxon who are headlining the second stage who's going to be headlining the second stage you know, when Saxon finish up in like two or three years which is really yeah. it's all the, all I'd give them really like Biff Byford yeah, yeah. is nearly 70. I mean he had a triple there.
1: or he had a heart bypass. Trip,
0: triple heart like, bypass. Yeah, like so like, so you're wondering like who who's going to be filling these slots on on like the main stage on the second stage? And at the moment, with a lot of those festivals, it's legacy acts. It's the likes mm. of Ozzy Osbourne solo. It's the likes of Judas Priest, Iron mm. Maiden, um, Scorpions, uh, Aerosmith, fucking yeah. you know White Snake.
1: Th- like those and the one that's insulting to metal, Biffy Clyro.
0: <laughs> well, th- well, they they. I put them in the newer category, but like, yeah. there's going to be such a void at these festivals if the festivals even continue to exist. After all of those bands, and that's, and that's
1: the thing as well. In that we've just mentioned a few that could potentially headline, and probably they have done some before. So might sell the tickets. But personally, I would not pay a full festival ticket to see some of those headline acts. <laughs> like to see Ghost? <laughs> oh, I would to Ghosts, But like event seventh, I've seen them and when they headlined, and they were good. But I wouldn't buy a ticket, two hundred and forty pound ticket to download, like I would for Iron Maiden, Black Sabbath, and Saxon, mm-hmm. <laughs> like just for. Venge Sevenfold,
0: yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, I do. And then you've got the bands waiting in the wings, like Powerwolf or like. Um, yeah,
1: they're big. You know, now but,
0: now. but are are they going to headline Download? Like, I, I don't see. They might headline Vakin. They might headline Vakan, <laughs> all right. Yeah. But like, I don't download, know if they have that yeah. that pan-European appeal. They you don't
1: know? probably in England like now.
0: Yeah, or Ireland. And you know
1: yourself when you go to those big gigs, we made and like a lot of the demographic is fifty-year-old lads or older who literally remember the glory days of the 80s yes yeah, they were grown. like
0: scrubbing floors in the carton horses yeah. like <laughs> i remember them then son yeah um i actually played bass on yeah. uh fucking running free <laughs> <laughs> but uh but then you've got the likes of um i thought of another band there uh who are still kind of big at the moment oh like halloween or something like
1: that like, are, yeah
0: are they gonna step into iron maiden slot? like
1: halloween it, it, and i think you hit a note there of the panama uh, european thing is in I think there will be that bit of a divide between some areas in Europe and others because I reckon Halloween and Powerwolf could easily headline like Sweden, Rock and Valken but or I don't t- know yeah. if they'd have the following in England to sell Exactly, these, like
0: who's going to be playing download? It, it's yeah. very intriguing to me but that kind of it kind of wraps up the podcast a bit mm-hmm. but there's one more thing I wanted to discuss which is um, where we are now like so where we are now is with the new wave of traditional heavy metal and both of us are into mm-hmm. that and let's just preface that by saying it's not a, it's not a, an official movement but no. no movements in music ever are official Um I, I doubt Johnny Rotten was going around in 1976 referring to himself as a punk musician just as much as Bruce Dickinson wasn't walking around in 1981 or 2 saying that he's part
1: of the new wave of British heavy metal. So it's just something (laughs) usually... Or or Lemmy going around till his death saying he wasn't a heavy metal. He wasn't heavy metal, (laughs)
0: exactly. But like, it's it's usually something the media creates and I don't know who created this NWO THM, but there certainly is a movement of bands in I'd say the last 10 years, but Um, certainly more prevalently in the last five years of bands who are inspired by traditional heavy metal bands, Iron Maiden, Judas Priest, Black Sabbath, Man War, whatever Mm. and who take the sound of those bands but put their own spin on it and create albums in in the 2010s or the 2020s. Um, The likes of uh, Visigot, Seven Mm. Sisters, Night Demon, Ambush, Haunt, Haunt, all of those bands that we're we're into uh, Mm. and uh, To me, I have a point to make here. It Mm. might be a bit long-winded, but I kind of ran this by you earlier. Um, So I think the reason why we have the new wave of traditional heavy metal, I think you have to go all the way back to new metal in the 1990s. Now, let me know what you think of this after I say it. So So in the 1990s, metal was on its deathbed. The likes of Iron Maiden, uh, fucking... Motorhead, Saxon couldn't get arrested in the '90s. They couldn't play a gig in a fucking I don't know, like a, a, a Portaleu, um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know. Then you had like in the mid 1990s, you had the likes of Corn coming out, and then later on. Later that decade, and in, in the early two thousands, you had Slipknot, you had mm. the likes of uh, System of a Down, you had Limp Biscuit, and you know Wes Borland from Limp Biscuit going up at the MTV Music Awards and and singing mm. Wasted Years, and you had you had all these things like all of these bands who were hip and cool and new. All of a sudden, started referencing bands like Iron Maiden and Judas Priest as influences. And yeah. my take on this is that new metal saved old metal. <laughs>
1: yeah, I remember you because when you just threw it by me earlier and I had to think about it. N- first, I'd never thought of that angle, but I didn't, as you said it, it wasn't like, that's rubbish. I was like, huh, interesting. I'll have a think. And the time, the time scales match up, like, objectively, that, that, that was a massive movement for teenagers and uh, teenage angst and all that who buy records and was all over MTV and, yeah, awards and, on the internet so and uh, just just to
0: elaborate on it so like we had the likes of Ozzy Osbourne then in the mid to late 1990s and it was probably Sharon Osbourne let's be honest but Mm. Ozzy Osbourne kind of saw what was going on and started booking the likes of System of the Down and Slipknot on this new traveling festival called Ozfest Mm. Um, and then all of a sudden Black Sabbath are getting back together with Ozzy Osbourne you know 96 Mm. 97 all of a sudden then uh, Iron Maiden are getting back with Bruce Dickinson Judas mm. Priest are getting back with Rob Halford, uh, Halford. And these are all kind of pivotal steps in like um, making yeah. old heavy metal popular again. And I think it was driven by the fact that all these new metal bands were like constantly citing all of these classic metal bands as influences and, you know, wearing their T-shirts yeah. and photo shoots and stuff like that. And then you have basically the, the 2000s where... All of a sudden, Iron Maiden are playing Rock and Rio." Judas Priest are back yeah. together. Ozzy Osbourne and Black Sabbath are riding high, and you have the likes of now where Slipknot can headline a festival alongside yeah. Iron Maiden, or Corn uh, yeah. can be second down the bill alongside one of those other bands like Saxon or whatever. Um, I was wondering,
1: do you? Re- yeah, so like, do you re- do you reckon? Like, I'd agree personally that that could have got like a movement going again but I wonder would it be as strong as the fans of New Metal all of a sudden saw these t-shirts and went I'm going to go to see Iron Maiden or more it's just I don't know nationally like the tone of music got on the heavier side again
0: well yeah I think it was a combination of both I think yeah the people's ears were opened up to heavier music again and then the the bands were citing these other bands as influences Mm -hmm. wearing the t-shirts and then yeah the fans Probably mm. most likely were like, well, I better check out Iron Maiden because Wes Borland mm. is talking about them or I better check out, yeah. you know, Iron Maiden because Corn are mentioning them or whatever. Um, and then my, my overall point is to wrap this up is that I think we have the new wave of traditional heavy metal because the bands that are active now, like the likes of Seven mm. Sisters or the likes of uh, Haunt or the likes of even maybe Night Demon, although they're a bit older, I think they mm. probably got into the second wave of popularity of the likes of Iron Maiden and the second wave of popularity of the likes of Black Sabbath um, because those bands didn't become popular again until the late 90s early 2000s and the new wave of traditional heavy metal bands would have been in their teens back yeah. then so I think the likes of those bands were like listening to Iron Maiden in 2000 going oh fuck these bands are unbelievable I want to make a band based on that style um, yeah. and I think we have new metal to thank for that. <laughs> Even though I'm not a fan or, of new or metal. Or in the
1: flip side, you have new metal owes a lot. Sorry, has old metal to thank for them.
0: I mean, we have old metal to thank yeah. to begin with, but I think yeah. the resurgence was driven by yeah.
1: the likes of new metal.
0: That's just a little point think, that came no, up it's
1: with. No, inter- like it's definitely one uh, less popular uh, theory. so... But I'm just trying to think of, like, the gigs we've been at. Like, obviously festivals, yeah, you have the complete cross for, over of there, there's going to be a new metal band at some tents and quite high up, so you'll have fans from all sides. Well, you're going you sli- to have like,
0: Slipknot, Deftones, that yeah. they can equally headline yeah. stages tones, the template. all around the world. <laughs> your favourite band?
1: <laughs> My favourite band. <laughs> but um, I, I wonder if you went to an actual specific gig of Maiden or Priest or whatever, would you see, like, new metal people who were... Oh, you wouldn't know, I guess.
0: Well, now probably not because I think the likes of those bands have become more organically popular again yeah. in that they can drive their own uh, mm. new fans. But I think in the early 2000s, for me anyway, I think even thinking back to that Kerrang! special magazine that we bought in 2003, yeah. that was flooded with like the likes of Alien Ant Farm and POD yeah, and all these bands saying, oh yeah, Iron Maiden are great. I had their first album and blah, blah, blah. Mm. And you're just kind of like, I, I think like the resurgence in classic style heavy metal owes a lot to the new metal movement. Um, but anyway,
1: I would all. say, yeah, points have been uh, defended quite well. So couldn't disprove it. And just the timing, it is quite a coincidence if there's not some sort of influencing factors jumping between both. Cause it is true. Like since then, like Maiden and Coke and the big ones can now like name their, well not name their price, but name their festival and they've got it ahead of any of the more modern bands yeah. Yeah, let's
0: be honest they probably can name their price because if the price yeah. is too low they can just say no we're
1: yeah not doing, <laughs> we're not in which doing case, it <laughs>
0: <laughs> we'll have somebody in uh, prague offering us you know yeah. as much money as we want so we're just going to go there
1: and they've um, openly said in interviews you know we've never been more popular and i don't know if you pick up but i noticed watching spotify like i think in the last year like maiden have got a million more listens or half a million like per month i noticed it just like creeps up quite fast like
0: you, you have quite a keen eye for that stuff I actually don't which surprises me even because I usually mm. I would say like you know I'm a big attention Oh uh, well, yeah because you have a
1: podcast person. or you kind of check stats in another way for that yeah but I just I, noticed like mine they're definitely getting more popular in terms of Spotify listeners so does that mean it's the more modern era younger listener as well
0: very likely and I think so yeah I think it is um so, yeah, that's going to wrap it up, I think, mm-hmm. for this episode. So I'd just like to say uh, thank you very much for joining me on episode yeah, no. one of Feckin' Metal. That was a great chat. Uh, good reminiscing, going back to the early days, back yeah. to early 2000s and right through to the present day. Um, just got
1: me buzzing for the next gig.
0: Yeah, me too. Jesus Christ. The last gig I saw was Visigoth back in March, yeah. start of March.
1: Um, just at the start of lockdown.
0: I thought it was the start of a you know a great year 2020 yeah. we had we had tickets booked for so many things you you were going to see visigoth with me in may yeah uh, we were going to go to see iron maiden and download we were going to go to fucking everything uh, mm. <laughs> and then oh. just didn't have 2021 <laughs> um so yeah that's going to do it though for oh. fucking metal episode one thank you for joining me i really appreciate your time and uh all of the effort that you put in there. I know you did a bit of research yourself and looking back over the years to be prepared for this episode. So uh, that's been me and my guest kevin daly for episode one of and metal i just like to say if you liked the music at the start of the episode that is by kyle McNeil from seven sisters that's a specially com- commissioned piece of music that i asked him to do for me um, and i'm looking to get kyle as a guest on a future episode of and metal so watch this space but uh that's it from us for this evening thank you very much and feck off <laughs>